Welcome to Prussian Socialism Halloween Special. Bringing you horror, whether you like it or not. So our topic is today is the Ariel Toaf book called Passovers of Blood. And normally we don't like to talk about Jews. I mean, we do. Like, we, we love to talk about Jews, but, but in a restrained manner. Right. We academic And I, there's fashion. actually a reason for this. I don't like to focus on bad things. Mm. Like, you need to talk about bad things. This is a general principle of education right. and uh, personal cultivation is you need to read mostly about good things and think mostly about good things, honorable, heroic, noble things. But you also have to know about the bad things. Right. Think and, good, be good. Yeah. Yes, yes. And this is what Halloween is all about. <laughs> and this is why I like Halloween. I mean, I know mm-hmm. there's criticism of Halloween that like, well, it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's devil pagan or, or Satan worshiping or Jewish or what. I don't know. Like people say a lot of things. Right. But what I like about Halloween is it's like any religion kind of needs to have one day where you celebrate the primial and the horrible and the awful. And you right. just think about it. Not to extremes. Right. I'm not going to be watching uh, like murder porn gore. Right. And like let's let's set the tone <laughs> for that. Is that clearly the old traditions of Halloween w- were about the celebration of the 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 or like the, not really the celebration, but I guess the kind of the the, the veneration or, or the, rev- the reverence towards the dead. Right. The other side, like the veil at, at the uh, the midnight or whatever on, on Halloween, the veil of, uh, between the world of the living and the dead is supposed to be the thinnest, and mm-hmm. then that's where ghouls and spooks are supposed to be able to come. Not blacks, but you know like. <laughs> not <laughs> CIA agents. Yeah, not the CIA, right? They're supposed to come through the veil. Because if spook means is a slang for both. Right, it is. Isn't yeah. that strange? So, wow, what a what a coincidence there. <laughs> I guess we call them glowies nowadays. Yeah, true. We kind of lost spook. Which is, I, I think we should bring that back. I enjoyed spook. You know, Again, in the Halloween theme, we should talk about spooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um... No, so like the, the veil is supposed to be the thinnest and the spirits of the dead are supposed to be able to traverse back into the world of the living, which is the whole point of jack-o'-lanterns, right? Is to uh, to ward off spirits. And they used to be carved out of gourds. We didn't have pumpkins yeah. until we came to the new world. Um, so they would carve jack-o'-lanterns, put them out in front of their house or whatever, and you'd have like little fires lit inside of them or whatever. It's supposed to ward off the spirits and yada, yada, yada. Well, and yeah, then, I mean, I, what I like in Halloween is that old, very almost sublimated horror oh yeah it's mystical. it's not it's not ex- in your face like gory oh, yeah. explicit it's more just House sort of a thousand ev- corpses or- evocative <laughs> of night and forests and yeah. dark and and it's primitive primal terror fear. the primal fear yes. right the primal fear of like you're a monkey and you're scared of the dark <laughs> you yeah. know and what is more frightening that, and this comes to the uncanny valley element too. What's scarier than something that looks human that isn't, right? And like a Neanderthal, the, like the Jew, right? Oh, yeah. yes, yeah, you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so that's kind of the point of Halloween here. And this is what's good about getting into the Ariel Toaf book about the concept of Passover of blood. Is where do all or not all, but where do a lot of these ancient European horror myths come from? Where do they derive from? Right, like the concept of drinking blood, the vampire, right? All these things yeah. is the Jew. It is like. It, there's there's really no two ways about uh, uh, addressing this issue regarding uh, medieval Europe uh, and the Jewish question and and, uh, and and horror right the concepts of horror so we have uh, the vampire being the biggest one right mm-hmm. um, we, we can get in later into uh, to Bram Stoker's uh, epic uh, gothic novel uh, we can also talk about uh, early 20th century film uh, with um, 
with things like again still dracula all the vampire stuff as far as symbology is concerned uh and and uh the concept of of playing god or that we see in in the um in the book uh by ariel Toaf about how they they want to create uh, or they're basically creating things the concept of prometheus we can get into that with frankenstein and mary shelley uh but all these things all these these ancient uh these ancient horrors right from the dark the creatures coming out of the night and eating your children and kind of things like that where does it come from it comes from yeah. jews like right well we're, we're skipping the lead here oh, a little course, bit yeah. because the book passovers of blood by ariel toaf you mentioned this to me back when we were talking about starting the show almost a year ago and I agreed, okay, yeah, I'll read this book. Now, you told me that it was only available in Italian. So well, I, I bought this stupid book in Italian, <laughs> and I started reading it, and I can't really read Italian. It's yeah. like, uh, you know, it's... I studied Latin in school, but right, yeah. And I can when I'm in Italy, I can mysteriously sort of speak right, Italian. Just like be, you just immerse yourself magically. You know? Yeah, it's like weird. <laughs> like I can't in yeah. normal society speak Italian, but as soon as you get into Italy, it just sort of like oh wow, magically you know, like, comes out. When in Rome, you know, it's weird. I like selectively repress it. Right. Uh, <laughs> but this book is available in English and has been available in English since 2007. I Apparently, actually didn't know good that. job, dude. I know. Sorry, I screwed up. <laughs> So, yeah, we'll post the link. Uh, I don't recommend reading the whole thing. I didn't read the whole thing. I read a few chapters of it. And, it's like, oh, my God. your brain. It's great. Ew, there's some really... It's actually really good for law students, actually. I think it should be a, a good note here uh, because it talks about, you know, criminal trials and all kinds of other well, things. What is, the what is good about it is the writer or scholar, Toaf, is, is an Israeli... Right. Or not my, an Israeli, a, a Jewish-Italian scholar who wrote yep. this book... 15 years ago or so and 20 years ago and yeah it was, he, it was in the 2000s he so. got in all kinds of trouble for writing this oh, because yeah <laughs> he actually went and looked at a lot of the old italian trial records and you know in europe this i guess is a thing where they have archives going back hundreds of years and you just go over to the church or the uh, i don't yeah. know city hall and like hey i want to i want to the the records from 1475 and they're like okay here you they're go like, all right here you go just like it's a like, stack of parchment like, like how many other civilizations on the planet have that kind of records going back and written civilizations and whatnot well yeah but anyway so <laughs> I, here's just a this is a blurb from a article on uns review about toaf and all of the what he faced after he wrote this book and did all this research about the activities of Jews in medieval Europe and how they were allegedly kidnapping children and and cutting uh, draining their blood, which is you know Jews say a lie and blah blah blah. Right, of course. You know, they, well, but we'll we'll keep an open mind here, Jews. Right, you know. So let's a, see what let's see what the court records say. <laughs> so this guy Toaf, um, the storm caused by the publication of Doctor Toaf's book Passovers of Blood is not abating. The tortured and almost crucified Professor Toaf, <laughs> odd metaphor, right? <laughs> is forced to a new act of repentance on a daily basis. Israeli newspaper Haaretz reported that now, quote, he wants to make it clear that the Jews of Trent did not murder Simon or any other Christian children for ritual purposes. Right, only after he was like completely put yeah, to no, no, the no, no, no. Toaf will also make it clear that the blood of dead Christians could not possibly have been used whether in food beverages or for medical or magical purposes because the blood traded by jews and christians at the time came from living donors not corpses his conclusion is that jews could not possibly have murdered christians blah blah, blah. uh end quote if they would 
turn the screw a bit more, Toaf would confess he murdered St. Simon personally in order to place the blame on the blameless Jews. <laughs> Israel, uh, a little bit more. Israeli parliament, Knesset, plans to send Dr. Toaf to jail. Holocaust denial is already criminal offense in Israel, but denial of Trent Horror is a duty, negationist or denier, blah, blah, blah. So this guy faced a bunch of persecution for digging up medieval records of these trials and trying to analyze them objectively. Oh, yeah. And we know a contemporary Jew we can we can juxtapose this with that had the same thing happen to him, and that was Dr. Uh, David Cole, or well, Dr. David Stein, and he changed his name to Cole because he's ostracized from Israel for Holocaust denial oh. in the 1990s. He was the guy who went on the... Um, what was that black talk show host in 91 or whatever? It's not Maury. It was the other guy. Maury Povich. No, not, or... not him. It was... Um, Oprah? No, not <laughs> no. It was a, it was a man. Uh, although well, we, one could argue the same for Oprah, but um, it was oh Montel Williams. That oh was a, yeah, yeah it was Montel. Montel. It was the Montel Williams show, and he King, went on there. King of the midday. Yeah, and he went on there for an hour and and totally disproved the Holocaust and everything else like that. You know, with a, all the scientific evidence you could possibly imagine and all that other fun stuff. And that's that we can talk about that the, the difference there between mysticism and science and then Jews and whatnot here in a little bit when we get to, to Bram Stoker's Dracula and his, his interpretation of that. Um, but the, the concept that if you, if you were a Jew and you go against the narrative of, of the Jewish narrative, right, you aren't, exempt from being a target <laughs> you will be ostracized entirely you're gone you're you're out um and so cole and toaf are well, toaf obviously reneged cole didn't renege so you know that's kind of cool i suppose mm-hmm. and, and cole actually went on red ice actually a few, uh, oh, interesting. few years ago yeah um it was one of the best interviews they had uh, i wish it, if, if red ice is listening to this go back to doing your four-hour interviews with phd people it was really good <laughs> um but so with the toe off book though uh and it, it goes into extreme graphic detail with these court cases of what was con- what would happen to to white people uh, at the hands of, of these of these psychotic jews uh draining the blood or like, and they had like a specific ritual so it was called a thing called pithing right so this was an element that was big in the middle ages was pithing pithing was like you use like this needle or whatever and mm-hmm. you, you prod little holes into the you know the victim or whatever uh and then yeah so we're gonna get into this graphic stuff just a little bit obviously it's halloween right so we're gonna get a little a little a little gross um but they would go around pithing and you would you would poke little holes and it wouldn't cause detrimental damage to the body like you can't die really from this it's just specifically to, to drain blood right mm-hmm. and there's and there's a painting of saint uh saint uh was it saint simon this kid in, yeah. in trent well so um, there's a lot of paintings and woodcuts yeah. and there's a bunch. There's a bunch of, of reliefs, yeah, and, and and for architecture in in Germany and whatnot uh, on on the side of churches and whatever, depicting this blood libel. Like this is this has been in architecture for for hundreds of years. But there's a famous painting. Uh, I want to say it was from the Renaissance of Saint Simon, um, and it has like it's. People should look this up. It's a really. It's like a really. You would think that it was like painted by the alt right in like 2017, like how outrageous these depictions of these jews are like smiling and they're gritting their 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 devilish teeth the pointed teeth and their you know long hooked noses and everything else with this poor white boy in the center of it that's like a kid oh, wait, getting this, blood yeah, this, this might be it uh i think there's I'm just a few. up in the book mur- mur- martyrdom of, of saint simon that's the earlier one so that's uh-huh. yeah the one from the renaissance though is far more graphic and phenomenal i think it's the, the details of it are really really good in the, in the renaissance painting of well, here's it. another one 
that's still that's earlier. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's one that looks kind of like this one you have on on the right. If I, our readers can't see that, but like there's a there's there's two images stuff to post here. The one on the right is the one where it has Saint. It's a bunch Simon. of creepy rabbis standing around oh, with yeah. a boy with some knives, and they're about to like cut him up. Yeah. So look that up on the on, on the internet, guys. Uh, the the any any portraits or paintings of Saint Simon, um, of Trent, and so in the picture it depicts. A, a, there's a bowl. There's always a chalice of some kind where they they drain obviously this blood into right for ritual purposes. Whether they drink it, whether they put it into the unleavened bread for the Passover and all this other types of stuff. Um, the concept still remains that they are drinking the blood of of the goyim. Right now, why this is fascinating to modern readers? Now, while we can sit here and talk about oh they did this you know hundred years ago, thousand years ago, whatever, and it's like they don't do that anymore today horseshit and i will explain to you how because are you talking about the israeli organ trade uh, not just the organ trade but their open blood donor thing from france and the united states so the only way to cure tay-sachs disease which we all know and this is the thing about vampires right so we all know that vampires have to drink blood to survive right in order to live that's part of the whole thing of the vampire is that they have to drink blood that's their life force so the thing with the jew though is that they have a lot of blood diseases the only race on the planet with the most, or, or the, there's no, there is no other race on the planet that has more blood diseases than the Jew, um, and so they have one of the major uh, blood diseases that they have is called Tay-Sachs disease. Most Jews are, pr- are prone to getting Tay-Sachs, uh, specifically Ashkenazi Jews as well. Right. Now the thing about Tay-Sachs is the only way to cure this is to have a total blood transfusion with non-Tay-Sachs blood. Now the... Oh, shit. Right. Full blood How transfusion. How many pints of blood does a human have in it? A lot. I'm not sure exactly on the top of my head, but like it's... Like 40, 50, like... It's a ton. Like when they take blood out of you, they take two pints, right? Yeah. Usually. And so they're taking... And you're, we- a, you're woozy. A couple percent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you're... You... Like they need it just like in order... But you have to have a full... A full body blood transfusion, right? In order to cure Tay-Sachs. Now, there's only one institute in the entire world that does this procedure and it is in tel aviv now in the, why would it be in tel aviv why would why would the vampire capital right require hmm. uh, you know this this procedure so the two countries though that provide these ashkenazi jews now also another thing to note ashkenazi jews are predominantly rh negative in their blood typing right so the only compatible race for them happens to be europeans oh shit right so the sorry the i just looked this up the average human has 10 pints of blood there you go so yeah if you give that's a fifth yeah if you give blood you're giving a fifth i mean i've i've also, done it i've done it a couple times i, I would uh, say don't give blood you say it, don't okay yeah i i for my i mean whole I, life, I, yeah. I hadn't i hadn't like gotten cut badly in a long time and I, I figured like for medical purposes it's probably good to just like clean it out and like make my marrow well, make like some leeches more. you want to do leeching yeah basically i figured that was right we just know. put a leech on you it's fine yeah right. whatever but so the thing but is two is pints that, of blood yeah that's, that's 20 it's 20 percent of your blood and here's most of this doesn't stay in the united states by the way for all these blood donors everybody out there that's an organ donor or everything else get that taken off your license immediately if you're a white if you're white take the organ donor shit yeah, well, because nowadays they're straight up not prioritizing whites right. for if, those if organs your organs and your so blood like keep your organs for your yourself race. if a relative or a friend needs needs one right like, then you know volunteer and if you're rh negative never give blood and the reason being is because most of that doesn't stay in the united states most of the united states and france's rh negative blood that is donated to blood banks gets shipped to israel to do these procedures in tel aviv so 
you tell me whether or not that's a vampiric aspect or not. Whether or not these vampires that are living in Israel okay, require well, that the blood look, gets sent. Jews there. are stealing our blood now. Okay, fine. But yeah. <laughs> what about what about Saint Simon of Trent? Oh yeah. <laughs> so and that's that's the thing. So th- that that ties into Saint Simon. Why would they have been doing this blood libel back in the day? Right. Like this whole concept. Of, where did this? Well, you're calling it a blood libel, but that's the or, Jewish yeah. phrase meaning implying that this isn't true right 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 and so, I mean, even if it even, to be clear my position on jews and jewish power would not change even if this weren't true even if this were all made up and totally right. fake but for the purposes <laughs> of intellectual discussion yeah let's talk about it right let's just let's discuss how, how this would work and the concept of of renewing oneself through blood right we we, we all have heard the alex jones stuff with um What's what's that uh, adrenochrome and all that other fun stuff of them sucking the life forces out of young babies and everything else like that? Well, there's like there is some merit to this concept if you go back into the Middle Ages of draining the blood of youth, specifically the youth, right? The younger the body is, the more I don't know nutritious the blood must be to the vampire or something along those lines. There's a reason why they specifically targeted children, mm-hmm. right? And the same thing goes into our modern Jewish uh, pedophilia rings. Well, let's not spread out too much here. So well, how right, yeah, how how do we know that the Simon of Trent thing is real? Oh, the trials, right. So all this is recorded, right, in Italian, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know, judiciary processes. Court records, whatever, yeah. Right? I mean, For, it, there was a big trial in Trent. It was huge. With, like, prelates from the church, I mean, a, a whole, and like and witnesses, and the whole rigmarole of, like, a big, long if trial. If I'm not mistaken, this led to an, exp- an, an expulsion of Jews as well in certain areas, and so, like, this kind of, this this is, like, they have, the court recommend, the court documentation is extremely vivid. Well, and, and in before, like, while they, pre- you know, they presuppose the the conclusion, right. there were, Toaf mentions there were plenty of trials that happened where Jews got acquitted. Right, yeah. Where they're like, oh, this, nothing actually happened. Or not that nothing actually happened, there just wasn't enough There's evidence to convict. There's not enough proof, yeah. Right, and that's, that should go to saying something. Should, yeah, that should suggest to you, like, well, shit, I mean, these supposedly ignorant, Jew-hating people of the Middle Ages were willing to acquit Jews. Right, yeah, like, I, oh, yeah. these are barbarians. They have no, they, they, they know nothing. They live in their own shit, and they get the Black Plague. No, clearly we had records. Clearly we had, you know, judiciary processes and all this other stuff. And if you were a good enough litigator, which I'm wondering well, why they, Jews I think specifically lawyers, in this trial, they didn't allow... Um, testimony from torture right because this is a medieval you know this is right, yeah. uh, some of the slightly like if we're going to be honest right fucked up stuff about the middle ages was that you could have testimony from torture but you could do really anything with torture <laughs> like, but it had to be i think it had generally speaking it had to be corroborated yeah. later and uh, and a lot of times they wouldn't accept testimony from torture there were rules about it it wasn't right. there it's it's not like you can just torture somebody into confession like that wasn't the bit about it you had to you had to actually you could you could use and the judges just had to authorize torture too it wasn't right. just like yeah. all right you know put them on put them on the rack right you just have some inquisitor roll up into your house and like beat your wife and then like start putting you in in shackles or like throw your kids into an iron maiden like none of that should happen right that just wasn't a thing um there was legitimate judiciary process to torture <laughs> we're gonna get into it right uh, uh, white people are still white people <laughs> right exactly you have to have law and order <laughs> even if it's gonna be outrageous um but the thing is is that even even under and this is this is another aspect in uh about this is that and i i honestly think um because so strike and mike did an episode about this specific right, book right. not too long ago um which i thought was fantastic and it was listened. last year i think yeah it was really really good um, but they mentioned, which I thought was also interesting about this this whole uh, this whole judiciary process under torture aspect, right? Is that like that 
that obviously is being looked at by the Jews and saying this can't fly because it was under duress, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the, the information was under duress. Yet for some reason, the Nuremberg trials still work, even though all that was under yeah, duress. Yeah, or James so, Field's trial still like Also works. under like, duress, yeah, right? You. Yeah, let's just stick a guy in prison for months and months on end with solitary confinement, not seeing anybody. And then, you know, because like, that is torture. Like, I'm sorry, that is torture. Like, if you, if you put a dude in a box for months, it's torture. Um, and then get a confession out of him just so he can get yeah, out of well, the box. Yeah, and the funny thing, too, about reading about these medieval trials is like, they were happening like that. Oh, yeah. Like, it was like, boom, like, oh, Jew is accused of of something like drag him in front of the judge. We're having the trial right now. Yeah, right the fuck now. And yeah. so and the thing is, there wasn't any of this like, oh, we're going to sit around for like one, two, three, four years and right. dick around with your case. Now, the thing is, Simon of Trent couldn't testify because he was dead. Right. They killed the kid for, mm-hmm. for this, which is, I think, probably one of the reasons why there was no really getting out of this for the Jews that were at that fault for this. Like, they, they there wasn't able it wasn't there wasn't a he said, she said kind of situation. Right. Um, it was the same thing that started the ADL with uh, what's his face? Oh, Mary Fagan and yeah. <sighs> evil Jew. Yeah. I always forget his name. I've erased it from my mind. One, one Jew after another. The point is, is that like. In, in they they he couldn't have been acquitted either right because it was you versus a dead person who's going to who's going to win that case is obviously if you, if you're if you if you're caught red-handed and the other person is dead and they can't say he said she said you're at fault and so i'm assuming it's the same thing that happened with the Simon of Trent case uh, is that these these Jews were brought on trial or, or I, I don't remember how many they said was in the book uh, that they were brought on trial for this it was there was a handful of them or whatever because it wasn't just one rabbi, right? It wasn't just one tiny incident where you could say, oh, it was one corrupt Jew. And it was a cabal of individuals that were capturing children, bloodletting them, and putting their blood, or, or according to Toaf in this book, putting it into unleavened bread and serving it to other Jews as food, mm-hmm. right? And so that symbology, and this... I'm not trying to be the one to bring Christianity into this, but there's some overlap symbology with the whole drink of my blood and eat of my flesh kind of thing right. with Jesus in this. And like, there's a lot of this ancient Jewish uh, of mysticism that kind of falls in play here of of, cons- of or, or, or it's just a choose mocking a Christian ritual. Could also be that, yeah. Steal, profaning the host or stealing the host and stealing the bread or the wine right. from church was one of their things that yeah, there you go and then or that they were accused of often and sometimes convicted as well <laughs> there you go but so what's what's more of a better thief or thievery than thieving the, the actual blood of the christian right and putting that into you know into, well, you know into what, the, into the food. what to me makes it believable all the court evidence aside is that the very story of passover right and i remember <laughs> as a kid watching uh you know yule brenner <laughs> You know, the Pharaoh in the Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston, president of the NRA versus Yul Brenner, the base gypsy, uh, base gypsy Pharaoh. <laughs> and I'm obviously rooting for Yul Brenner because he's fucking cool and he's the Pharaoh and, you know, Egypt power. Right. Um, and they have the Ten Plagues of Egypt. And then they have like the Yahweh kills the firstborn child of every Egyptian. Actually, and I'm like, and I'm like, yeah. what is a I don't know, eight-year-old. I'm like, well, wait a second now. How does that make any sense? Right. And like, how is that just? How would God do that? To chill only... And you're telling me this is part of... This is, is it's, what they're celebrating? It's deeper And this is that. what I'm supposed to, like, hold as as my ancient tradition? Like, right. 
Get the fuck I out. I love killing the firstborn sons of civilization. The firstborn right? son? That's like, like a thing. Uh, that, that, oh, yeah. What a great moral fucking, you know, bastion there. No, but the, and, and it's deeper than that, too, with the Egyptians, specifically on the Egyptians. And note, note, everybody that's listening, Passover still happens every year, and they have been liberated from Egypt for thousands of years. They're a vindictive people. Um, and so the thing about Egypt, though, the firstborn sons, this is something that I got out of um, reading Wallace Budge. Yeah, so when I was reading Wallace Budge, uh, probably right as a tween or whatever around 11 or 12 uh, i read that the firstborn sons of egypt and this this is wallace budge so wallace budge was an egyptologist at the at the early 1900s okay uh and so the thing about this is that he didn't mention jews in this in this instance but it 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 triggered something in my mind when i was a kid because obviously we all grew up with these bible stories and stuff as children right the 10 plagues of egypt and all that other stuff um, specifically the killing of the firstborn sons of Egypt. And it, I was reading Budge, and I found out that the firstborn sons of Egypt, all the firstborn Egyptian sons, were destined to be part of the clergy. Um, that was part of their whole culture. Right? Uh-huh. So it was one of the first real religious attacks uh, in history that's recorded by these Jews, is that they not, it's, it's not, it's not just something like, that oh, seems like a lot. I mean, maybe yeah. firstborn sons of the aristocracy or something. No, no, no just that, that's like, so it was, it was, uh, that's become, a lot of priests. It, well, it's the thing. It was all integrated throughout Egyptian society. Like the priesthood was Egyptian society. And so your firstborn son was mandated to go and it didn't have to be like, they weren't going to become the, the head priest of ISIS or something, right? Like they would just be part of, of the clergy priesthood, the whole, um, they would the, get the apparatus. A re- they would get a religious education and then they would be, I don't know. Somehow. They would either be scribes or they would, you know, they would, they would clean up the, 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 the temples or something. They would work for the temples, right? They would work for the religious apparatus. So the firstborn sons of all Egyptians were mandated to go and be part of this, this religious sect, uh, in some way, shape or form, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, but, in order to go around and kill all the firstborn sons of Egypt, uh, was it, that was a a way to literally destroy the Egyptian religion specifically. It was a religious attack from mm-hmm. Jews to the Egyptians. Um, so it, there's there's that aspect to it as well. So there's always this 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 uh, this overpresent element of a religious war, a spiritual war, right? A, a war that is beyond man in a sense with with Jews. Um, and so they, they will always take it to the next level. So with, with the with the killing of the firstborn sons, though, that is obviously still celebrated today. And the way that they and the people think about what does the word Passover mean, right? Just the name Passover. What right, is, it means the spirit of uh, of the death is yes. passing by your house because you put the lamb's blood on right, it. Right, exactly. The angel of death passes over you because. Right. And then, but that's the thing. Another another Jewish element of blood. How did they know? How did they tell the angel of death not to come to their house? They painted their doorway with blood, which is why Jews have red doors in their houses today. Um, so if you're ever oh, in a really? neighbor, yeah, if you're ever in a neighborhood, just go around looking for stuff. If you see a red door on a house in a rich neighborhood, it's probably because it's a Jewish house. Um, well, on the door or the door frame? The door. The door. It used to be that the, the door frame was the original thing, but now uh-huh. it's easier just to buy a red door. I see. Um, and so we had. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I think we used to have a red door. Um, maybe you guys were Jews. No, <laughs> no. We had a, we had a Jewish family at the end of sometimes our, it just uh, goes with the house. Uh. <laughs> so, well, it's the thing. Maybe they were Jews that lived there before you guys did, and that's uh-huh. the thing. So like you can find those little. Um, yeah. Those well, little, that that's the real tell is if you can find the little uh, crookedly placed yeah, scroll, the doohickey thing. at the at the front of your door. Um, and then we had a Jewish family lived in a neighborhood that I lived in a long time ago when I was a kid, and they were the only ones in the neighborhood with a red door. <laughs> it was just a, a known thing. Um, and so you you have these these weird 
these weird cultural trickle downs or whatever. But the thing is, is that it all it's all revolving around blood, right? That's where we where Toaf is really getting down to is that there's a lot of this blood ritual stuff. Uh, even even about saving yourself is it's about blood. So saving yourself with blood. So again, it goes back. To, and this is again, we're gonna we're gonna be all Halloween about this and vampires and shit. So vampires require blood as sustenance, and they they revolve. It's a blood cult. Vampires are always about a blood cult. They have blood orgies. They do all this other stuff with blood, this blood, that, or whatever bloodletting. You have to drink the blood of a vampire in order to become a vampire. All this other stuff, mm-hmm. right? So it's the same thing with with Jews, right? How do you become part of the Jewish tribe? You have to imbibe of their blood you have to be part of their blood you have to to breed with them right it's 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 like again trump's kids we'll look at trump's kids right all of trump's kids married jews why because he's becoming part of the vampire cult he's put his his grandchildren will become vampires because they are blood jews Hmm. at that point um and unfortunately for them though they are going to inherit those blood those blood problems like tay sachs and everything else like that and they are going to have to then become vampires and drink the blood of goyim in order to cure themselves of tay sachs so (laughs) this it's all these ancient mythos that we have from ancient Europe or whatever, old Europe of, of vampires and these ghouls in the well, night. I'll tell you, know, you on the vampire thing. Abducting so, children. So I remember there was a lecture, uh, like a special lecture at Ohio State that I went to when I was, I don't know, 18, 19, mm-hmm. about vampires. And it was given by this professor who had written a book on this or something. It's actually pretty fascinating. That and, that it, yeah, <laughs> and... and He's particularly. I think he was a Romanian, so he's like talking about you know Romania. How fitting <laughs> and vampires because that's you know where where a lot of the vampire stories come from. Right. And I remember a, a couple of the stories pretty well just because of how strange they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for instance, one of the things that he mentioned in this lecture was that uh, even as late as like the early two thousands, and maybe there's been instances since then, some of these Romanians were if they thought someone was a vampire, they would like dig up the body, cut out the heart and stick a bunch of stakes in it and right. leave it by the side of the road. Oh, and the other, the other thing too, was that there's like a rule that you, a odd number of holes in the heart lets the spirit out, but an even number lets it back in again. Oh, I didn't know that. That's so you have to stab it an odd number of times. <laughs> so, okay. That, that's interesting. So you have to set like what, three, five, seven. Yeah. Kind of right. Right. Okay. Well, that, uh, that's very fascinating because I know they used to put cages over and they over also graves too. Yeah, and their 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 conception of the vampire isn't that he's white and pasty like we think of Count Dracula. Right. He's red faced and short and uh, sort of squat and gross. Wow. How he many people do we know of that look? He like isn't that? tall <laughs> and lean and aristocratic looking like. Right. Like uh, like Bela Lugosi's uh, Dracula right. in the films, right? So also for for our viewers, uh, if you go look up one of Bela Lugosi's oh, and, and, and Dracula, oh sorry, sorry, and one one last thing was that they they love cow blood. Like whenever cows are killed, the Romanian peasant will attribute this to. A, a vampire. Well, it's, the vampire bats feed on cows all the time too. That's a big deal. Mm. Um, so that there might be a connection with that, uh, or or something along those lines, or the fact that there is many mythos of vampires feeding on the blood of animals when they can't get human blood. Ah. Um, and so that might be an element to that as well. So, but uh, just a, a quick thing. So, the, the, when Bela Lugosi did his Dracula character uh, in the early 1900s, or I guess it was 19. 
I'm guessing Bela Lugosi is a Hungarian actor. I think he is. I'm not sure what his origin is, but he played um, he played Dracula, and in one of the early films, he's shown wearing a Star of David around his neck uh, as Dracula. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's like that's Dracula's special amulet or whatever. Real interesting there. So before Jew Hollywood, right? Before Jew Hollywood really came into play. Now, obviously, Hollywood's always been Jewish, but before they really took over and before the laws were removed in the 1950s, right? Uh, and then really became like Jewish as all get out. Uh, you still had some interesting film that came out in the early 1900s and one of those one of those symbology elements was the star of david around the, the neck of a vampire um and so you you have all these strange connections uh th- throughout uh throughout history of jews and blood right jews drinking blood vampires and all this other fun stuff uh so again going back to simon of trent and the uh the trials there they were accused of obviously this bloodletting element of, of draining the blood of this child uh and taking it for whatever nefarious purposes they possibly could utilize it for um most most notably would probably be the uh putting in the passover of matzah right putting it in the, in the bread um and all that other fun stuff and then feeding it to other jews so they'd be eating this blood now that we go back to Romania a bit, so we can we can we we can really we can really put in some some nice uh, <laughs> some nice vampire mythos to this as well. Uh, there was a, there was a, a vampire or supposed vampire. Also, by the way, Vlad Dracula or Vlad Tepes, according to the Romanians, is not a vampire, and anybody who calls him a vampire is basically like a heretic. The okay, well, people. Yeah, because he's he's obviously not. He went around killing Turks and everything else like that. He didn't do any vampire stuff. So more than likely, the whole Vlad Dracula becoming a vampire thing is a Jewish misrepresentation of that in order to draw the attention away from or themselves. Or a Turkish one. Or a Turkish one. It's like, well, Turks and Jews are very close usually, so, uh, as far as politics are well, concerned. Well, not in Pennsylvania politics. <laughs> well, Dr. Oz versus Fetterman. Oh, yeah. Jew versus Turk action. I was really, really, I don't really know how to deal with that. <laughs> um, but sorry, we're getting way off track here. So, well, yeah. yeah, like Vlad, Vlad the Impaler, Vlad Tepes. Right. So probably he, not. Definitely not vampire. a vampire. No, he was good, just, to, good to have that established. But you were right. saying before that. About, oh, yeah. So there was there was this one that kind of draws into other parts of Toaf's book about the whole um, washing oneself in the blood and everything else like this. Right. Like the, it also goes into obviously the modern day thing of having to have an entire blood transfusion to remove yourself of Tay-Sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, also to Alex Jones point hilariously of, uh, you know, like, like the adrenochrome and becoming younger right through the use of, of bodily fluids of, of the, of the young. And so there was this woman, I'm not sure if she was in Romania or just in the, um, just in that valley area, Carpathian area, during the time of Germanification. Uh, her name was Lady... Uh, tra- Transylvania? That area would more than likely be the case. Steven Bergen? No. <laughs> so her name her name was Lady Bathory. Uh, Lady Bathory, I'm not sure if she's... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if she's well-known or not, but she was, in, she was put under house arrest by the other nobles uh, after a time... Um, for for doing this so what she was famous for is that she drained all the young maidens from her own her own lands right that she owned as a noble she she took them all to the castle and became known that what they would never return from the castle was she a jewess uh i'm not sure just a crazy aristocrat (laughs) either she was a crazy aristocrat or she had dealings with Kabbalists where she would have gotten this information from because this information had to come from somewhere or she was just selling it well no no no, because she there's there's no record of her selling it they have actual records of what she was doing with the blood right so let me get to that point that's that's where we get into the real fun stuff so what she was doing with the maidens this is like 19th century no no this was uh i want to say this was 
16th or 15th century. Okay. This is old stuff, right? So, like, back in the day when aristocrats still had, like, a legit castle, right? And you could actually go in. And, they, and they, where your other aristocrats could, like, put you in house arrest on your castle kind of thing, right? So, you had the lands, and they would bring, uh, she would she would have, she would order that all the young maidens from the, or just one or two at a time, right, would mm-hmm. come from the from the from her villages uh, to, to be her, her servant, right, or her, her nursemaid or whatever it would be. Um, they would never return. And the reason being is because she would drain them entirely of their blood. Like, all of it. She would literally just gut them, effectively. Like, cut the head off, hang them upside down, and drain all the blood out of the body. And what she would do with this... And they were always young virgin girls, right? That was the one The one key to this, is they were always young virgin girls. Um, and she would drain all the blood into a tub, and then she would bathe in the blood of these young girls. Uh, head to toe. Like, totally... So, kind of like Milo. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, uh, uh. But... Maybe these ideas come from some places, right? So like, she, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's what, Ma- Milo bathed in pig's blood wait, in New York, York, right? Yeah, yeah. I wait. It was pig's blood. I know it was. I, I think it was pig's blood. I thought it was sheep, but yeah, in one way or another, whatever. Some, some farm animal, animal right? some farm animal blood. Yeah, uh, maybe not pig's blood because he's Jewish. Was so. he was he in league with uh, our the, the, our good lawyer that sacrifices goats? What's his name? <laughs> oh, oh come on he's a bro like, I know just cause, he, just cause you sacrificed a goat once or twice doesn't make you a Jew dude well you know tra- <laughs> no very valid um, but so Bathory though would drain the blood of these virgin girls and she would bathe in it head to toe and it, and the point of this is so yeah the point of bathing in blood was to basically reinvigorate the body right to to bring youth back into the into the I don't know the the person who's doing the blood bathing or whatever. Um, so her whole point was to take. It makes sense. Like you yeah. have, I don't know. You need an oil change every once in a while in your right. car. You need a blood change on a person. Right. Like you know, Joe Biden know. needs some adrenochrome every once in a while, so he goes to his you know his good boy uh, and what's his face uh, Epstein and get some some children. <laughs> but that's kind of the thing is that you have these these ancient stories about it's constantly about the revitalization of the body right like blood somehow brings youth it brings life like blood is life to these these people um and i'm not sure where bathory got her so ideas. the fountain of youth is white goyim kids uh, white goyim kids <laughs> yeah effectively yeah if ponce de leon knew that he would have never had to go west he could have just stayed and killed russians or something <laughs> but instead he went out killing natives and tried to find gold and everything else like that right searching for the fountain of youth when all he needed to do was talk to jews apparently because jews know where the fountain of youth is and it is pulsating through the veins of white children um and so that's kind of the thing here is that bathory used all these these uh young virgin girls uh, as as basically a rejuvenation uh you know like it was like her sephora right like she would go to like you know your local beauty salon and then pick up a bunch of virgin girls blood during their blood and bathe in it um why i mean i wouldn't think bathing in it would be good enough though don't you have to i would imagine that she didn't at just, least imbibe it i would imagine she didn't just bathe in it i would imagine she drank it as well there's uh-huh. no way that you get so depraved that you're bathing in the blood of virgin girls or whatever and you don't at least try it a little bit to drink it right like there's no way that you don't go that far with it you have a castle in the middle of the mountains or whatever and you're bringing in all of your and she's so many yeah, i mean how many virgins do you need to fill a bathtub no no, no it just she, like she, 10 she, 10 well we looked this up 10 pints on the average human true virgin girl is going to be less than that what's your 10 average pints isn't that much what's 10 your pints average for our Eurofag friends uh <laughs> 10 pints is what that's two and a half gallons so that's liters, like four liters or something that's like i don't know no, six liters. or seven liters that's oh, we're bad with this but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a lot so in order to fill a bathtub up an old claw foot bathtub or whatever would have would have taken a lot of blood you try maybe two or three people right okay um and so with that being said though 
She went through these so frequently that she ran out of virgin girls in her own lands and started to pilfer virgin girls from other nobles' lands, which is what got her the house arrest uh, a proclamation from the other nobles. They were like, you can't keep taking our virgin girls. This is ridiculous. You're going to be locked up and we're done with you, and that's the end of it. And then her lands were, were uh, you know, divvied out to, to other nobles. Yeah, prima nocte, more like prima sangue. <laughs> prima sangue. And that's actually what happened, unfortunately. So she was taking everybody's virgin girls from surrounding villages and surrounding areas, draining them of their blood. She was doing this no, so... Sorry, sanguine? Is that the ablative case in Latin? Sangui sanguine? I think so, yeah. Yeah, prima sanguine. Oh, ew. But still, like that has that has worse connotations than the other one, honestly, than the original. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, sangue is just Italian. I don't know. Well, it's still like it's still gross. <laughs> like the con the connotation of that is disgusting. I'm just like the first blood. I'm like, God, <laughs> that's that could be a lot of nasty oh, things. Oh, I see. What you're Jesus Christ. Yeah, oh. I know. <laughs> you said it, man. But yeah, so she, I said we we're gonna keep this episode. Uh, no, it's Halloween, dude. It's gross. Halloween, but like, let's uh, let's. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to keep this listenable by people who have very high disgust reflexes, as, oh, yeah. we, as we do ourselves. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> some, yeah. But so here's the deal. So they they um they had to ban her ass from everything, and they put her under house arrest because she was just taking all the virgin girls of the area and draining their blood to rejuvenate herself. Right, and, and her her goal was immortality. That was her major goal was to utilize the blood of virgins or the blood of young people uh, to to basically make herself immortal. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's obviously discussions of this uh, when it comes to, to rabbinical texts as far as uh, what can come out of, of the blood and Talmud and everything else like that. Um, also, the ritual of why the rabbi or, or the... Um, What's what's the word they use in Mohel? Hebrew? Yeah, the the moil. Yeah, so the moil uh, when he goes and does the circumcision and all this other stuff, he has to uh, effectively suture the wound with his mouth. Right. Yeah. So it's called mitzah something bepeh. Oh, I'm not sure. Bepeh means with the mouth because oh, okay. in Arabic befem, but be it's something bepeh something with the mouth. Oh well, there. You, okay, so there you go. So it has to do with it specifically has to do with the mouth. Uh, you have to, to suture it that way, but that means that you get the blood. You suck the blood off of the dick with your mouth. Right. Just the, the, like that alone should have been like yo. Which is also yo, why get the fuck out of this a country. A lot of young Jewish boys are are diagnosed with herpes and other things like well, this. We know this. This, this. this is well known. This yeah, is well. The it, people know this. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's it, real. It's, it's a real, problem with the Orthodox in New York. Real bad. I mean, uh, it comes out in mainstream newspapers. Now, another element of this which is funny is that the rabbis that are doing this have a higher rate of schizophrenia uh than their other jewish counterparts do and there's i mean i'm not gonna say that that's blood like honestly you're doing something that's screwed up well right you probably have schizophrenia but then again, if you're a jew it probably doesn't really affect you well that's the thing so like the, the concept of of adrenochrome or uh early stem cells and blood and all this other fun stuff all these little things that come from kids or whatever there's like there's some correlation with these types of like imbibing these these fluids and a propensity to schizophrenia um not sure which one comes first but more than likely there's some kind of correlation or not necessarily correlation causation but the imbibing the fluids of young individuals uh, I don't know. Maybe it could be some kind of mad cow disease kind of thing. Also, do you have right? stats on that? I I don't I don't not often. I mean, I believe you, but I'm you know, sure. Just for, I'm just sure for the people's readers, enlightenment. Yeah, I'm sure our readers can can go and, and Google their asses off and find the correlations between uh, adrenochrome consumption and schizophrenia, or uh, you know, like rabbis drinking blood and their schizophrenia numbers compared to the others. Like, there's a bunch of research out there, or whatever. Go nuts, readers, you know, listeners. Yeah, I didn't find fun. out about the whole 
baby dick sucking thing until I became a Nazi. <laughs> I mean, I, I was anti-Semitic before that. Yeah. Uh, just based on recognizing the fact of their overwhelming power and overrepresentation in elite institutions. Right. But when I found that out, it's like, whoa. Yeah. But, whoa right and like it's like it really, you're not gonna talk whoa it draws a hey, hard hold line on. It draws hold a on a second cultural like, line. cutting off cutting off the foreskin is fucked up to begin with yeah. but you're gonna tell me not only is it cut off but what's already fuck? genital mutilation what is wrong right? with you yeah but it's, uh, because they're vampires right like it's uh, the, yeah, <laughs> we're well, talking, clearly it, if, if we look at if we look at the jew in the frame of a vampire right we're going again they're doing October it to their 31st. own kind too well for the most part i mean apparently yeah. you know, according to the toaf book they used to do, they would sometimes and per, as part of their torture of christian children is circumcise them right because they wanted to be as close to the christ as possible right was the, the they, oh so that yeah right they were yeah. mocking christ's death by yeah, by, by doing a parody of it through or a uh, yeah, because because he had to be circumcised because again, Christ was a son of Abraham, right? Jesus was a Jew, uh, uh-huh. so he would have been circumcised at the time. So the point is, is that to mock a effectively a Jew that goes against Judea, uh, Judaism, right? Um, and so that's that's kind of all that that all that all bit there. So with the, yeah, they would just. But could you imagine being like a a kid that's abducted by Jews? Not I only don't, getting uh, like yeah, let's pith. not think about yeah, that. I know, that's and then awful. like circumcised, like you know, like that's while you're awake. Awful. I know it's it's it, this is Halloween, man. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you yeah, you're, tri- about, you're triggering me. I know you want to talk <laughs> about stuff that goes bump in the night, dude. It's Jews abducting kids and then circumcising them while they're awake. Like that shit is fucked up. And then blood draining their blood and then drinking their blood right so like all this stuff happens as it, could you imagine what a medieval european would think if you even heard any type of 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 inclination towards this like if you were a medieval peasant you were completely basically ignorant of the world and that is what you were exposed to you would yes you would think it's a vampire you would think it's a demon you would think it's a ghoul you would think that you know like the the veils of of hell have been opened and these creatures are out upon you and that they are actually demons no wonder they were persecuted all over the place of course they were persecuted they're literally drinking the blood of your children like yeah no no, it's it's to to think that jews are like oh my god i'm I'm kicked out of 109 countries because you drank the blood of 109 children what the fuck is wrong with you of course you're getting kicked out <laughs> like everywhere you go you're performing these rituals in secret and cabalism or whatever right you're crazy fucking rituals you don't speak this right language you yeah. have weird symbology you're draining the blood of kids like come the fuck on well speaking of, of language yo check it out latin declension of sanguis uh, called it sanguine uh see what well, it, yo it's, it's still got it's still there yeah. i still got it but you're you're, you're <laughs> the language it. expert right like so that's the whole point of it uh, yeah uh, so there it is <laughs> you're the you're the language expert totally and, and that's kind of what the, the good part about this is that we can that's but again that's that's one of the best part about this show is that we can delve into books that are not written in english and that was kind of the one of the big deals why i pointed this one out specifically because i i honestly thought it wasn't written in english i thought it was only in italian um so that would have added to, to the whole bit of it but yeah like that's there's a bunch of plates and and templates the thing is about the the uh italian edition i don't know if there's a really good print edition of i don't the think one i don't you know, Mike mentioned on the Mike, Strike and Mike show that mm-hmm. he had a print edition of it in English. Oh, did he? So you could get it printed in English, but... But does it have the, te- the, the the plates? That's the big deal about this book, is that in the Italian version, there's a lot of really good imagery uh, that Toaf puts in here. Uh, and for any of our readers or listeners out there that are interested in getting a very interesting piece of literature, I highly recommend getting Paschi di Sangue, the, the Italian version of Passover of Blood, 
uh, by aerial tow off because of the, just because of the pictures that it that it includes. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes through all of the medieval uh, depictions of, of this of this act, like all the different blood uh, letting rituals. It's it is actually very graphic uh, for anybody that's squeamish. I'm sure that you know most of us in this are, are not as as or we've desensitized ourselves on purpose because we realize you know like the the dystopia to come is not going to be exactly all you know kittens and 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 fur trees and stuff. So. There's a lot of stuff that you would probably want to expose yourself to uh, through this book, um, strictly because of just the imagery that they use and that they evoke. Um, so there was, there's also some other parts of this uh, where I, I can get into a rant about uh, Jewish symbology and how this ties into this uh, by getting into other Halloween uh, staples, such as Bram Stoker's Dracula, written in 1897, and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which was written, I think it was in 1819 or 1818, somewhere around there. You know, that's one of the few books i actually read in high school which one uh mary shelley oh yeah well frankenstein i was uh, like shocked at how good it was compared to the usual nigger literature we no, had to read fr- oh right because it was written 100 200 years ago yeah, yeah <laughs> i was like wow uh you know this is like not i mean i knew it wasn't like a great classic back right, then right, right. but i started i mean i was reading it for school or whatever and i was like this is like so much better than the usual oh, yeah. shit we read it's good it's a good read i honestly yeah. i recommend anybody reading frank the real the original frankenstein by shelley it's a really really good book um and it, it's technically considered the very first science fiction novel because she was writing about uh, things that were novel oh, at the time. come on. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Lucian, what's his book? Lucian's book is the first science fiction novel. Wait, which one? Uh, he's that medieval, not medieval. He's like from the 300s. He was a Syriac writing in Greek and he wrote this novel. I've read, I read it, most of it years ago it's really trippy and weird hmm. like people go to the moon they get stuck inside a whale i know it's really weird what well i, I yeah like is, no is it fiction or science fiction because they're, they're i hate to oh, be the, the guy to 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 cut that i line. guess it's like moon magian fiction okay so it's probably more just fiction because again stucking a whale is like outrageous because like even even shelly doesn't go that far in some of it what she talks about mostly is the is what's happening contemporary okay i'll science. I'll, let, I'll i'll agree that yeah. there was <laughs> No known science fiction before. Right, right. At least there's, yeah, at least there's no known science fiction prior to Mary Shelley's true technical science fiction. Because what she's doing is she's taking um, information that was actually being applied at the time and putting it into novel form. Right? It was science. So like reanimating the dead with electricity wasn't, she didn't make that up. Like that was a, a, a thing that people were trying in the mm-hmm. early 1800s, which is why it was like, that's what makes it science fiction is because it's like, it's, it's, it's fiction based on the science at the time. Okay. Um, and nothing that she was writing about was actually considered crazy, which is strange to us today is that like, wait a minute, you're trying to reanimate the corpse and you know, reanimate corpses with electricity. That sounds insane. But at the time that was actually real science. People were actually trying to accomplish this. Um, yeah, could you imagine the 1800s? It's a very nutty time. Um, revolutions, Napoleon, reanimating corpses with electricity. It sounds like a fucking nut, nut house, right? When, when was that book written? 1818, I think. Somewhere around there. Earlier, okay. It might have been earlier than that. 1800, somewhere between 1809 and 1818. Somewhere around there. Okay. Um, and her her husband was a famous poet as well. Um, and they were really big into occultism. And they, you know, like back in the 1800s, a lot of aristocrats would go to like seances and stuff like that. And they would really get into that guy. And this is real, real Halloween episode here. So they go into seance. They try so to they talk sound, to spirits. They, they sound like swivels. 
yeah, <laughs> hippies, Swipples, yeah. Yeah, they were rich, they were rich, rich aristocratic Swipples, effectively, back in the 1800s, where they would go to seances, they would they would talk to human skulls, right? They would have, like, a medium come in and try to, like, commune with the dead and all this other stuff. And that was, like, real for them at the time. It was, like, fascinating. They were like, wow, this is really neat. That's where the whole Gothic element comes to, or Gothic revisionism or Gothic uh, revitalism okay. um, comes into play in the 1800s. And so the the thing though with uh, with Frankenstein, which is why I'm bringing this into this, is because of of the correlation between Frankenstein's monster um, and the concept of the Jewish golem. Uh, and you have these these uh, Grimm's uh, what Jacob Grimm uh, wrote in one of his fairy tales, or not? He didn't write it, or uh, whatever. He compiled uh, one of these fairy tales about the golem from Prague, uh, where you have like this this man made out of clay or whatever, and then it's it's written on the front. So uh, most people, it's a man made out of clay that the Jewish rabbi can rise up and use to terrorize the Goyim. Right, exactly. Or do whatever his bidding would possibly be. Um, and, and so the thing about the golem, though, is that, and this, this ties into a lot of, this is a lot of things for, for our readers to, or listeners to think about as far as their knowledge of Jews is concerned in the contemporary and historical knowledge of Jews and what they do here. Uh, the golem has to have, in order for it to, to come alive, there has to be specific words written on it, right? They, they're very, they're, this is very Kabbalistic. They're very much into symbology, letters, and all this other stuff. Yeah. And so that the word written on the forehead of the, of the golem is the is called emmet or it's the jewish word for truth uh which i find to be very interesting that the golem is driven by jewish truth and how do you spell that uh emmet i think it's e-m-e-t in english i'm not sure what it is in hebrew at all um so that is that right that is the whole point i'm just i'm just thinking the arabic word for oh yeah uh, for death is mot so m-e-t Right. And WT maybe. And now like, that gets into the next part of this is that the only way to kill the golem is to erase the first letter of the Jewish word truth, right, right. which then becomes the word death, and then it kills the golem. So, but the thing is though is that look at these look at these symbols as far as even the United States is concerned, right? What is driving the golem of the United States? It's Jewish truth. It's fake truth, right? Exactly, and that's true truth, right? And then and, and if and if you were to remove that Jewish truth, hmm. the golem dies. And that's kind of the big deal here is that if we are, if we are to have free speech, so are you saying that if we throw the Jews out, then America will be destroyed? That the golem of America will be destroyed. Absolutely. I, 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 oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> you know, not necessarily. The that sound, sort of sounded like an argument for yeah. why we should support the regime. I wasn't sure. Oh no. It's the antithesis of that. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> that's real Halloween hours. There's support, support Zog guys, support Zog guys. <laughs> so yeah, no. Um, but so that's the thing. So in order to raise the golem, now this didn't, this wasn't, uh, in, in Frankenstein, but there was a lot of aspects to this, this golem element. And now the, the, the monster in Frankenstein, Frankenstein is actually not called Frankenstein, contrary to most Americans' popular belief, because they never actually read the book. Uh, so get out there and read, damn it. Um, the monster's name is Adam, like the Jewish creation myth, mm-hmm. right? And so that was the whole point: is that Doctor Victor Frankenstein was playing. I don't remember. I don't remember him having a name. I just remember he's the monster always. It was, it was Adam. Yeah, oh, really? Adam okay. was the actual name of the monster in the book, and that's again in 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 popular uh, you know. Right, he's remembered in, as in, Frankenstein, even though it's right. Doctor Frankenstein. Right, and then, the, and then in the movies, or whatever. Again, as you said, they only they only call it the monster, right? Frankenstein's monster. That's right. a big deal. They never really call it his actual name, which is in the book Adam. Um, and this goes into Victor Frankenstein playing God again with reanimating corpses through electricity and utilizing scientific knowledge in order to become master of his domain. And this is this really resonates with this the Jewish spirit of 
what is it that they're trying to do? They're creating a, and and what what is what is what is Adam in the book? All right, so Adam is is a stitched together man. He is taken from the corpses of all the other of all the other graves that that Victor Frankenstein and and, and his, his you know like that has his robbed. He's robbed these parts. He's robbed arms and legs and head. You know, like the torso, everything else, and he has stitched Adam together from a, a hodgepodge of other men. What is the Jewish ideology of the world, if not a stitched together hodgepodge golem of mm. all the different races, of all the different parts, of all the different cultures, right. of everything else? Not wrong. You know? <laughs> and so Adam is effectively Frankenstein, or if you read Frankenstein, real Shelley's Frankenstein, Adam can be utilized as a metaphor for the modern Jewish hegemony of the world and what their view would be, right? Like what they want it to be, like what the golem is supposed to be, a stitched together automaton that is beholden to Jewish truth. I mean, I remember in Frankenstein, it was like 20 years ago. So it was something like he, he escapes and then he's running around Europe and the Arctic and yeah, he travels the world. And then Dr. Frankenstein is chasing him. Yeah. He's trying to find him because uh-huh. the monster or Adam is trying to find solace from ostracism from being ostracized everywhere. oh right yeah that's right. very jewish yeah uh, it, there's there's so many connections that can be made in this specifically and that's, i just want to have friends right uh, even though i'm an absolute monster and that's the thing it's like i just want to have friends even though i'm an absolute monster and and what 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 can we connect that to today so the thing with again the thing with frankenstein or the thing with not frankenstein but the thing with adam is that or, or Frankenstein too? Is that he's playing God, right? This concept of playing God, and we see this theme throughout, uh, you know, th- yeah, through, I mean, like throughout in, Jewish what's his name, Oppenheimer and the atomic bomb, right? And, there we go, yeah, and he did the whole and uh, Eisen, Eisen, uh, what's his name, not Eisenhower, the other Jew, uh, <laughs> Einstein, uh, Einstein. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, Oppenhauer. No, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think Eisenhower, that fucking kike. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> one could argue. <laughs> But that, and so Oppenheimer, uh, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, but Oppenheimer said, um, "What well, I am become death destroyer of worlds," and that was a take. That was a quote out of the Bhagavad Gita, if I'm not mistaken, uh, from the. So clever. I know it was. It's a. It's the the dialogue for any of our, our listeners that don't know. Uh, the Bhagavad Gita is a discourse or dialogue between uh, Arjuna and and Krishna, and so. There is at one point in time where Krishna takes the form of I forgot what it is, and then he says that I am, you know, I've become death and destroyer of worlds or something along those lines. Anyway, Oppenheimer decided to be clever and use that uh, that word or that use that phrase whenever he decided to create the atomic bomb and kill a whole bunch of Japanese people for no damn reason. Um, So, or or just create a, a horrible weapon. So. You have this this concept of playing God in the Jewish mythos uh, over and over and over again. Even going back as far as Egypt, we mentioned earlier with the with with who is the angel of death? Because okay, if we're, we're going to be realists about this, there is no such thing as the angel of death. You're talking about Jewish assassins going around in the night killing the babies of Egyptians, right? And the only way to tell that the the only way to tell the Jewish assassins that hey, this is an Egyptian house is to paint your door with blood, and they would pass over and go to the next house that didn't have. Um, blood on the door and they would kill the, the first whatever child was in the crib there right so you have these assassins going on and on and on killing 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 okay well you're you're positing that this that the whole story of the jews in egypt is real and that this is actually right okay i mean right yeah, yeah. Like, no. you know the positive if if this is the case and that was the deal is that they, and because here's the deal the egyptians have reliefs of jews and nubians right and they right had, there, they, there wasn't no 
angel of death going around killing Egypt. Right. Yeah, God didn't do there that. There were Jews, the Jews in Egypt. Did. We know this. Right. Yeah. The, we know for a fact. Well, I don't know if we know for a fact, but it's 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 highly improbable that God or an angel or some mystical being came down from the heavens in the middle of the night and just slaughtered all the firstborn sons of Egypt like Santa Claus. Like, that's nonsensical in my opinion, and it makes more sense that they had a Jewish conspiracy to go around, probably led by Moses, to go around killing all the firstborn sons of Egypt so that the Pharaoh was finally like, all right, get these people the fuck out of here, and finally they were run out. Because notice, notice they were, and this is going off on a tangent, but who cares? Notice they were never actually expelled from Egypt. They were chased out of Egypt. They didn't want to leave. They mm-hmm. didn't want to leave Egypt. They were chased out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. Well, I'll, you know, I'll add to this. On the question of the Jews in Egypt, I mean, the old theory, the theory that was put out in I think the Eternal Jew by Dr. Joseph Goebbels. Phenomenal. Is basically that the Hyksos in Egypt were the Jews. Now, the Hyksos were a group that took over Egypt for about 400 years mm-hmm. in I want to say like... Up to, let's see, it ended. The Hyksos regime ended in like 1300 or something BC, so maybe three, three or four hundred years before that. Anyway, it's generally agreed that the Hyksos were either a Semitic people or a group of peoples. But whenever people say group of peoples, I'm always like raise eyebrow because. Right. <laughs> You know, like they'll say that about the Teut- the Teutones and the Kimbri. They'll mm-hmm. say like, well, there were there were Celtic and Germanic peoples. It's like, yo, pick one. People aren't gonna <laughs> be in a group that's capable of I don't know military action and coordination unless they can you know talk to each other. Right, multiculturalism, so, multiracialism doesn't work. Chances in are they were one or the other. But you know, same thing with the Hyksos. Like, yeah, you know, there were a, a hodgepodge of different peoples who wandered in and then formed a regime no like there was a dominant group right within them obviously but whatever so there is a the the theory the old theory that is probably the correct theory is that the story of the jews in egypt is just the story of the hyksos taking over egypt and uh being the regime for a few hundred years and then getting kicked out by the native egyptians and it's just funny that like this would be remembered by the Jews as, oh, we were enslaved in Egypt. Oh, we were enslaved making all those big loans and running the whole society. That was so hard. We just had to work all day at our <laughs> at our accounting uh, machines, right. accounting for all the gold and wheat that those jippos were giving us. Oh, it was so hard. <laughs> Get and, the fuck out of here. Yeah, no. It, and the concept of like, the word Jews say, oh, we were enslaved by the Egyptians. It's bullshit. Yeah, I mean, they were ta- never actually slaves. They uh, had the their Ro- Tacitus was appropriately skeptical of these claims, right? And he wasn't wrong at all. I, I think I, you know, that's that's probably why Tacitus did what he did, is <laughs> he's like, all right, enough of this nonsense. Um, but the Egyptians were never slaves. The, the Egyptians. Wait, you thinking ins- of Titus? Oh yes, yes. Sorry, no, no, no. Wait, Tacitus said something. <laughs> Tacitus, about the historian. Yeah, he, I didn't know Tacitus had anything to say about the Jews. He them. mentioned that there's different stories of Moses, and he gives the Jewish story, and he's like, "Yeah, probably not." <laughs> and then he gives the alternative story, which I guess Greeks and Egyptians were trading in, which was that the Jews of Egypt had been led, or that Moses was a leader of lepers and people who had plague, and they were isolated from society and then 
Moses led all the lepers out of Egypt or uh, something. It was something like that. Based? <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, I can see the metaphor here. I right. get it. Interesting. Like, or like morally lepers or something along right. those lines. You know, one way or the other. But one way, regardless well, I mean, of what's t- going on. Tay-Sachs disease, having lepers. Maybe that's the case because they were all diseased and they were all dying from random diseases back in the day. So like, <laughs> but the thing is that they, they were not slaves. They were paid. They were paid like all the other Egyptian uh, subjects. They were well, paid. I mean, I'm skeptical that they, a Jew doing an honest day's work of labor. I mean, well, come on. Not to say that he was actually doing an honest day's work of labor, uh, whatever, but he was still being paid just like they are today, right? <laughs> he was get, he, they were getting money somehow. They were, well, they were getting They wouldn't have back. been in Egypt yeah. if they weren't. If there was no reason for it, right? Exactly. Making bank. Right. And this is, why were they in Carthage, right? Or any of these other places. So... They were getting paid in beer, like everybody else in Egypt at the time. No, too. no, no. Paid in beer is Mesopotamia. In Egypt, you got paid in, I don't know. I don't think beer. Oh, I thought that was beer. I'm not sure. They were, Egypt was into wine. Oh, really? And I think they paid you in grain. Oh, I thought the early days they paid you in beer, but I guess I could be wrong. They might have. I don't know. Uh, maybe there was like one instance that I read where it was like... No, pay, paid paying in beer. in beer was a big thing in Mesopotamia, for sure. Well, yeah, because it's like, I mean, that's a hard commodity to get back in the day, you know? Well, the, but that was... That was the commodity you could get in mesopotamia right so but, i'm gonna go off on a tangent here um about we're just kind of regressing slightly back to to uh frankenstein because i found this really neat uh piece about frankenstein specifically the whole this, this whole how it relates to judaism and everything else in a jewish uh jewish forum it's called uh, we all do we all i'm sure most of our readers or listeners know about the forward or like the jewish daily forward or whatever the hell it's called um where it says forward Jewish right. Every, everybody's yeah. favorite Jewish non-profit. liberal newspaper I love how they have to say that on the top though which says forward says Jewish independent non-profit like <laughs> they have to really make that note so I'm gonna go ahead and uh, and, and read over a couple of these little uh, quips that I have that I found specifically about uh, Shelley's Frankenstein uh, that kind of tie into this so quote or just as this is from the forward the Jewish tales of the golem trace as far back as the Talmud, and perhaps even further to the Book of Psalms. Kathy S. Gelbin, a professor at the University of Manchester, points out in her authoritative essay, quote, Was Frankenstein's monster Jewish? That the Hebrew term, quote, Galmi, G-A-L-M, or G-A-L-M-I, or my golem is actually what it translates to is my mm-hmm. golem in Hebrew, uh, first appears in Psalm 139.16. Gelbin writes. So, quote, its biblical meaning is often translated as shapeless mass or embryo, evoking the unfinished human being before God's eyes. Early rabbinic literature understood the term golem to refer to the biblical creation story of the first human being, Adam. Okay. which is where Shelley drew this this term from, before he received a soul. These early Jewish texts relate a number of stories about the creation of artificial humans or animals by various Jewish sages. So after, this is a, now back to, to, to normal speak, after all these, you know, these ancient texts and everything else is taken into account, uh, yeah, Jews are trying to play God. And they even say it here. The Jews themselves claim that the Jews are trying to play God by creating man and animal beasts or, or abominations and all this other stuff. Like this mm-hmm. is part of their of their of their mythos. And they don't hide it. Like this is a Jewish this is a Jewish uh article. Like this is them saying this. Uh that that, that the Jewish sages are the ones that are trying to create again artificial humans or animals, right? Out of this this whole concept, these monsters, right? So um it also, it also, this is a part of it as well. We'll go back to this. 
Um, in Jewish circles, Gelbin continues, the term golem gained currency for such creations around the late 12th century when Jewish mystics or Kabbalists, as it says, it actually says that here, it says Kabbalists, in the German-speaking lands adopted the word golem to describe a silent man artificially created from clay and brought to life through an incantation of Hebrew letters and words. So, the Jews, even now, as we all know, this concept of 1984, newspeak, and, and word stew, and also their nonsense, right, about like jumbling up words and basically kind of changing the meaning of things, right? This all has ancient history with the Jews about wordplay. Oh, yeah. And I'll, I'll, you know, there was a book I read a few years ago on Mesopotamian, like philosophy in ancient Mesopotamia, which is a complete over a, a overreach of a claim by the author it was some modern academic who doesn't know what philosophy is but he's talking <laughs> about he, he spent the whole book talking about how the ancient mesopotamians used to attribute meaning to letters and to words i mean not letters but cuneiform signs i guess and to words and then how that was a precursor to philosophy and it's like well i mean yeah a precursor to Jewish fake philosophy. Right, yeah. Uh, I mean, look, we'll give the Mesopotamians credit for, I don't know, like like Heraclitus or Thales, maybe. I'll, I'll be generous and say, like like those guys groping for truth, tr- trying to find the the essence of the world. Right. Is it water? Is it fire? Is it uh, is it air? They were at least searching for something. Well, well yeah, we'll, we'll give the Mesopotamians credit. But for the Jews to be... Uh, in the 1200s claiming that philosophical truth comes from wordplay and letterplay uh, right. no right and that's no jew yeah no jew you were wrong wrong jews <laughs> and that's that's and we and we get back to the, but here's 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 more on on specifically that of them of them trying to kind of claim that that is what their position is um and this 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 specific quote here from this this forward article really really hit home with me and they rang the bell because this is this is some jewish mindfuckery if i've ever seen it so quote but the question remains was shelley aware of the jewish tale of the golem and was her frankenstein creature based on that tale in contemporary parlance was her frankenstein an act of cultural appropriation so Let's put a tack in that. So the forward is actually claiming, yeah, I know, right. So Frankenstein, right, the concept of a man stitching together a golem and creating and playing God, right, is somehow cultural appropriation, mm-hmm. insinuating that Jews actually do this, and that's part of their culture. So the forward is, a, is, is insinuating that Jewish culture is to play God and control things through Jewish truth. Right. Well, at, you know, at, okay, because... yeah. They're, yeah, they're a guy. There's a story of a guy doing something weird. Right. And they're saying, look at that story. You're adopting our culture. Right. How, how exactly, right? I want to know like, from the Jew's mouth. Yeah, right. What do you ex- mean? Yeah, what by, do you mean? Yeah, like, what do you mean by cultural appropriation? So your culture is to stitch together pieces of civilizations or people and bring them back to life and, and make them your slaves? That's your culture. That's the, literally what they're saying. It's not, unironically, it's literally what they're saying. We can we can post the link to this forward article in the in the in the in the episode later. But I don't so know if we will. Themselves. But well, you don't have to. Yeah, or we no, can we, archive we'll, we'll it. Or try. We'll try. I'll send the pictures. Maybe you guys can post <laughs> that. But it actually is straight up in there. You can you can read it. So you guys can Google Mary Shelley Frankenstein and then put forward slash forward or whatever the hell uh, and find it yourselves. 
But yeah, so they're they're saying that Frankenstein, the monster, the concept of the monster Frankenstein, or, or or creating things and playing God, is cultural appropriation of the Jews. Which, yeah, like explain yourselves there, guys. So um, there was another thing though that because her husband Sherry, like Shelley's husband, knew about the Jews as well, and he wrote a very serious poem about this that no one talks about mm. at all. And, but they mentioned it here in the forward hilariously, right? Because the Jew, no one tells on the Jews better than the Jews. Like, right. nobody. <laughs> we all know this. Well, so. Jew for Jew media versus Jew for Goy media. Right, exactly. And the forward is definitely, definitely Jew for Jew. Yeah, so you got to go read their shit if you want to get the good stuff. So um, it goes on here into saying that uh, in the monster's rest, uh, restless wanderings across the globe to escape ostracism, she writes, Shelley seems to draw on the figure of the wandering Jew, perhaps inspired by her husband's poetic treatment of this figure and the in the poem it's called or the poem is called the wandering jews soliloquy Mm -hmm. that's the poem by uh by mr shelley so in the years before they met he wrote this before he met shelley or before he met uh mary okay so he already knew about the jq long before he met his wife so also given the novel's subtitle uh which so People don't know that there's a subtitle to Frankenstein. It's not actually just called Frankenstein. It's called Frankenstein or the story of the modern Prometheus. Uh, so the modern Prometheus is obviously the, the second title to that, uh, talking about uh, you know the gods giving light to man or, or life to man in some way, shape, or form. As we all know the story of Prometheus. Or I don't know if we all know the story of Prometheus. But most people should. Like if you're listening to this show, you should know the story of Prometheus, uh, the the concept of the Titan giving uh, you know fire to man and all this other fun stuff and, and setting us on our path to, to freedom from the gods and all this other fun stuff, um, which is also a, a theme that can be seen in uh, the Bible as well with Lucifer and Luc- Lucifer uh, you know being connected with Prometheus or whatever the light bringer the the morning star and all these yeah. strange terms. Um, so also given the novel's subtitle, Goethe's seventeen seventy three poem Prometheus was more likely to have provided inspiration for Shelley's novel. I don't know you Wait, guys did you a- mean seventeen? Go- so oh, Go- seventeen seventy three. Okay, yeah, yeah. Goethe's poem in seventeen seventy three Prometheus, um, which I know you guys just did a couple yeah, episodes. Yeah, so you would have been twenty four when you write that. Yeah, which is. I mean, like people were far more accomplished in their youth than we are today. Well, you know, it's <laughs> fucking easy back then because. Yeah, you didn't have video well, games have and distractions. To, no, and shit. because you didn't have to go through a Jewish education and mm, then true. like unlearn everything and relearn everything. One and two, right. uh, there also wasn't you know Goethe didn't exist before Goethe, so Goethe could write Goethe stuff. True, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, so it all it could all be novel at the time. So. Uh, but this this poem, uh, according to them, was more likely to have provided inspiration for Shelley's novel. Uh, Gelbin and other scholars have pointed out that the most popular golem legend, that of Judah Loeb, uh, or Judah Loeb ben Bezalel, the late 16th century rabbi of Prague, only gained widespread purchase after or later in the 19th century uh, when a novel by the German Jewish writer Bertha blah, blah, blah. So, but there's also the ask, the other thing here that there was a, a rabbi uh, they mention here <laughs> where he pretended to be the Messiah and got a bunch of Jews to convert to Catholicism or some shit in Eastern Europe. Apparently there's two of them that did this. Uh, I don't I don't remember. I didn't I don't think I saved that uh, in here. So this is this is the last the last little bit from the the four before we move on in uh, in the show. So uh this is talking about the Grimm brothers elements of this. So Jacob Grimm, uh, he is, or Jacob Grimm, he of the famous brothers Grimm, published a brief version of the Jewish golem story in a collection in 1808. Uh, so Shelley would have had knowledge of this literature, right? Because she didn't write Frankenstein. Possibly. I mean, were they 
England was paying more attention to Germany back then, but... True, but Shelley and her husband did vacation in Geneva quite often. Oh, okay. Um, so they were they were well-traveled individuals, so she would definitely have had access to this literature. Um, uh, one to which... And this is continuing. One to which Shelley certainly had access. Grimm's version included specific details of the Jewish legend, that the creature was animated by writing the Hebrew word emet, or truth, on the being's forehead, and that the erasure of the first letter, Aleph, that's the first letter, whatever it is called, Aleph, uh, leaving the word met, or death, resulted in the creature's collapse. In Grimm's version, or Grimm's version, the golem grew so big that when he was commanded to take off his master's shoes, a ruse to allow the erasure of the letter Aleph, he wound up collapsing in a heap, thereby killing his creator. What does that say about the United States? It grows too big, and then when they go to kill it, it kills the it kills the master with it. Oh right, yeah, yeah. So that's there's some elements here that one could draw parallels from contemporary to historical aspects of literature and and, and mysticism, Kabbalism, all that other fun stuff. There's a, there's so many coincidences uh, in in these in these types of lit- in these types of pieces of literature that it's it's almost hard to ignore them honestly when it comes to this kind of thing. Uh, it, again, going back to the bloodletting and all this other stuff, that we have evidence of that. Toaf wrote a, a phenomenal book on all the bloodletting and the trials and everything else like that. But we would like to also explore, and that's like one of my biggest uh, my big points of this this episode uh, is to explore how that type of thing affects contemporary mythology or affects contemporary thought of of the time being, right? For the for the Europeans, like again, you our mean myths- our, you're saying the idea of Europeans creating myths about these sorts of Jewish depravities? Yeah, and and kind of you know like implementing them, not necessarily because again, you you while Jews are the main focus of this you could apply that to witches or goblins or you know again vampires like all these other these mythological creatures well, are witches or goblins jewish or no honestly i i would i would pick a witch or a jew over or a witch or a goblin over a jew right but, right like, right but the thing is is that i'm just saying like these are pro- i would say these no. are probably just other ancient things in our mythology but the vampire specifically is a the metaphor vampire for specifically Jews. right i would honestly say even though witches i would i would say there's there's an element to i uh, the correlation well there's the going to be correlation yeah. obviously with any evil there's going to be correlation right, with Jews yeah. like I, it, it but, goes without saying but not just basic correlation like more specific correlation specifically with witches uh-huh. right and the sexual depravity that was that was laid upon witches mm. um, which was a, a big deal obviously in the, in the Jewish it always has been in the Jewish community sexual depravity and Freud goes on to say that the only reason why the Goyim or he was talking about Europeans the only reason why Europeans are so backwards compared to Jews is because Jews know themselves sexually as animals and Europeans do not um, and so this thing goes again with witches and the witches uh, having tales of, 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 of fornicating with their broomsticks. The broomstick wasn't just a ride on guys. They wrote it in different ways. All right. That was like the myth. And I know that we don't talk Wait, about that. What? At all. Right. They would. Yeah, they would. They would, what? Right. The, the, Whoa. Yeah. So there's, yeah. So the broomstick was basically like <laughs> your house housewife's dildo, right? Something so new like, every day. Yeah. Really fucked up shit. So <laughs> there was a lot. It's also, if you look at any of the depictions of the witches, Sabbath, they're always naked. It's these, yeah, like it's just a thing, <laughs> you know? So oh, uh, riding around on broomsticks, flying through the night, fornicating, doing all this fun stuff or whatever. And they always, why is the, why is the witch always depicted with warts and a hooked nose? Why? <laughs> you know, like uh. it's, 
always the thing. There's there's certain depictions of these creatures. The goblin always has a hooked nose as well. All these creatures that are considered evil in European mythology always have the Jewish nose. It's just like universal. They all have the Jewish nose. Right. The vampire does. The witch does. The goblin does. You know, like all these things and like all these creatures have these 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 Jew, Jewish uh, you know uh, faculties. Hilariously, and they all seem to do Jewish shit. They will all steal children. They will all seduce you. They will all come after your women, right? They all fucking do the bloodletting thing. That's the thing about, and this this is a good segue. Make poison. Poisoning wells. That's another yes. big one from the Middle Ages. A huge one is poisoning wells in the Middle Ages, right? And and stealing things around your house. So again, going to so goblins aren't just your typical five foot tall green creature, Lord of the Rings goblin. That's not what really a goblin is in European mythology. Goblins are usually smaller creatures, not necessarily green whatsoever. They usually like you know they look like people a lot of times, but they're like disheveled people with hooked nose and whatnot. And they had many different terms for these things. And there was different types of goblins. You had red caps. You had you know house goblins your shoe goblins all these little things would run around and do stuff right and you could appease the goblin you can give him things you could leave things around your house and they'd maybe do good stuff to you i don't know if you've, if you've ever read the uh the story of the the cobbler and the gobbler the, go- uh, the cobbler and the elves and all that stuff where he goes and the, that's elves they make shoes for you but the goblins always steal shit from you right they always take your babies like they, they'll run they'll run out of the night with your baby your baby just turns up missing one night and you're and, and it was a goblin right or was it a goblin or was it a jew that stole your baby for bloodletting purposes and they seemingly the babies disappearing always came around certain times of the year right there was a mm. big one in scandinavia where they had this i forgot what the the name of, the, of this creature was but it's like a it's an old haggled woman and if your kids go out by themselves at night they won't come home because she'll abduct them right there's always it's always around christmas too specifically around christmas um and we all know that jews like to to go after other people's holidays we see them attacking you know America. yeah they like to, i mean christmas eve they have niddle knocked which is their gross parody of of christmas and stuff yeah right so to say that these probably didn't you know i would say that these probably correlated with a lot of these other rituals bloodletting rituals and everything else like that because we if we look at any jewish ritual or any jewish holiday it's all based around killing another group of people like all of them well yeah, yeah like I mean, I, maybe there's like one or two in like all their ten thousand rituals or whatever that doesn't have to do with murdering or cursing your your opponents but like the majority of them do well i mean tell 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 the audience something they didn't know right you know <laughs> <laughs> you know so these correlations kind of kind of uh filter into european folklore uh uh, and, and your basic peasant would be scared of these types of people and the types of things that they did. Do you know the story of William of Norwich? That's the other Saint Simon, right? Yeah. There's, there, there are many. Right. Well, there well, are many alleged instances right. of Christian children being kidnapped, just and so the killed readers by Jews. or the viewers know. The Ariel Toaf book is almost predominantly speaking entirely of Italian right. instances, not anything else within the rest of Europe. They're mostly talking about yeah, 15th century Italy. But yeah. this, th- there's one famous case from England from the 1140s of this kid called William of Norwich who was eight or ten, right, and left his house and and went with somebody because or no the a jew came to the house and convinced his mother that that this jew had some in with the lord and and that they wanted to you the boy would be able to be a some kind of he was a tanner not he, to be an ass he would but be this able, is exactly what epstein did across europe the united oh, states yeah, and sure. south america to like, coerce like the, the boy young would be a poor t- kids to like uh, go with them yeah a tanner or something uh, because he, his family were tanners and he was an apprentice tanner. Yeah. And so they convinced him to leave. And then the last he was seen going in a Jewish house, other people in the town saw it. 
he turns up dead in a forest a few yep. days later with like cuts all over him and or a week or so later i mean he's and people were like you know what the fuck right uh and <laughs> the they, had, they, had a, they had a whole investigation and a trial and and you know what's really remarkable to me about the william of norwich case is that thomas man thomas of manmouth not jeffrey of manmouth thomas of manmouth his likely like named probably not relative wrote a book <laughs> spent 20 years writing a multi-volume latin work investigating and talking about this particular case so this wasn't just like some guy tossed off a latin treatise and everyone was like yep it was the fucking jews (laughs) (laughs) those fucking jews we have to get them we have to get them out of merry old england don't we aha (laughs) bing golly never realized these jews here it's bong o'clock i don't know know why i'm doing 1910 accent (laughs) merry old england for sure but but this guy spent like wrote a very big latin treatise on it and you can get editions of this from like the 19th century there is one online that i was reading a few years ago and he spends like the whole introduction in saying i know a lot of people aren't going to believe this i know it's the 12th (laughs) century and we're supposedly all anti-semites and we're all crazy like retards because it's the middle ages right but I know people aren't going to believe this, but actually I investigated this and I've tried to approach this with an even mind. I've talked to everybody and it actually appears these Jews kidnapped this kid and killed him and sacrificed him and drank his blood. Just so you guys know, obviously the listeners that like uh, I, I, I want you to suspend the incredulity. <laughs> well, it's, like, it's like he's writing for a modern audience. He's well, like right. saying, look, I know, I know in a thousand years you're going to call me a medieval retard, but look, I just want to end before that right now. Just so you guys know, white people have always been stupid towards the Jew, it seems. Like, we've always been yeah. ignorant towards the Jew, and it's just, it, it's about high time that we fucking fix that, because it's like, if, if you have to convince a medieval population that the Jews are the guys that did it, when you guys expel them constantly for dumb shit like this, like, something's wrong. Like, you guys, our altruism is literally our greatest downfall it sucks but it's the truth you know like we have to really kind of uh, we got to fix that because you know, it's, it's a it, well it's a it, it you expect it if if a group is capable of forming really big groups like if yeah. a, a type a certain racial type is able to work getting together in really big teams we'll call them countries right empires whatever and logically they're going to have to be fairly altruistic and fairly outgoing yeah but that own. makes you weak and in this, it makes you vulnerable to jewish parasitism so how can you be both able to build big groups and inure yourself to the jewish parasitical attempts to get in well the only the only answer to that actually is to is to ensure that the jew seems like an other and that's the big issue that's where we, I, I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode the concept of the uncanny valley those things that seem human but are not right and that's the biggest weapon of the jew what's the what's the biggest weapon of the ashkenazi jew he looks white he looks like us mm-hmm. and they're able to convince other people that they are us and so our natural altruism towards our own is triggered towards in a beneficial way towards the jew because of the way they look to like they will look at us unless we actually really peel back the thing and the thing that the jew hides from us the most which is what what makes him the other is his rituals right that what toaf talks about and stuff his religion his practices his way of life is what actually separates the jew from the rest of the europeans and so or from the from europeans in general because they're not europeans but it's it's their physical appearance they use as the biggest weapon here. right and, and their physical appearance too the typical traits of Jews, like the sort of drooping 
on the side eyes yeah. and the the uh, the, 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 the protruding of the entire forward part of the face. Mm-hmm. Like if you look in profile on a Jew, you'll notice that generally speaking, the nose and the, uh, upper, and the, mandible. And the yeah. upper mandible are like ahead of the straight line like if you look at a, a very goyish person right you'll see almost a straight line yeah from it's a the nine, top of nine the forehead degree. especially in a, in a very intelligent person you'll see that yeah so what, what greg's talking about here female is too, your like, is your uh your your so the, in uh in, in craniology or in craniometry you have this um this this measurement about forehead protrusion mm-hmm. and so what if, if from our our listeners our listeners this uh but it's all pseudoscience it's all sorry. pseudoscience right now <laughs> sorry all, yeah you know yeah. this is all this is all phenotype determines or is determined by genotype except in humans except in humans right everything except us but so if, if you go from so that little bone behind your ear it's like a little uh, protruding bone it kind of comes down here it's called the uh the mastoid process so when, when you go here uh you, you take a, a straight angle from your mastoid process to the bottom of your nasal sill where where your um your top like your top mandible right your top of your teeth meet your nasal sill your nasal opening there yeah that is you if you draw a straight line from there to there and then try to do a 90 degree angle from there to your forehead that's your arian right mm-hmm. like the closer towards 90 degrees that you get from that that thing is the closer towards having a larger forebrain and all this other stuff for for logical thought um if you look at the profile of a jew they have more of this animalistic type of rat face, right? Where it's like this protrusion thing where they don't actually have a 90 degree angle. It's more of like, it's not 45, right? It's not like an actual rat, but like it's it's further back. Like the forehead is it sits further back on the Jew than it does on the right, area. which is unless they're highly mixed into us, which we do mm-hmm. see a lot with like Jared Kushner is one of those guys. Yeah, right. Like, you have to think of Jared. You know, yeah. I, I hate to say it, but it is, it is the case. But that's the thing about interbreeding. But what, what I was going to say about their features like the eyes drooping and mm-hmm. the nose, a lot of the Jewish features look almost childish. They look neotenous. It's also, it's also um, which is it's like, like a, dishonest. Oh, well, sure, yeah. but what it lo- it looks. I mean, I would I would posit the evolutionary purpose of this is to gain trust and to gain sympathy because mm. they look so weak. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, they're not intimidating, or not physically right. intimidating anyway. Right. Um, but they do look maniacal. <laughs> That's kind of the, you know, they have that. But no, that makes sense that they could they could possibly have used that as, as a sympathy tactic. Because I mean, what is the Jew throughout all of his history? It's a parasite, right? So a creature over time, and because they're going to select for that too. Who can who can Jew the goy more? It's mm-hmm. going to have these features. They're going to have these these faculties, and so they're going to obviously be considered the higher of the Jews. The Jews are they're going to get more you know mates and yada yada. You know how natural uh, evolution works in that right, point natural in time. selection. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the thing though is, I fucking love science <laughs> <laughs> I, no and you should guys but and so this segues though into this this whole uh, into into Bram Stoker's Dracula right this this uh, this whole thing of them being able to infiltrate based on looks and whatnot so uh, Count Dracula in the book uh, he's able to infiltrate uh, European society right he's able to infiltrate English society uh, by you know coming over there and he he, he coerced uh, our, our protagonist or whatever in the story uh, I'm not going to get into too much detail this is a very large book and I highly recommend everybody reads it but as far as the overview is concerned Dracula um, he invites a noble to his house or this guy right he invites a guy to his house uh, who he then seduces with his three Nosferatu females that are at the castle, the brides of Dracula, or one could say Jewesses, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So big mamsers uh, seduce Guy to stay in the castle while Dracula goes to England 
and and sets up shop there uh, to coerce uh, the female. Uh, well, I can't remember her name at, the, at this point in time. It's just um, uh, Mina. I think it was I think it was the character's name was Mina. Uh, and so he's going to seduce this woman, or he's like really big into seducing this woman. Obviously, obviously to drink her blood and create her as like a, another Jewess, effectively, right? Like all the, all Jew males want to do is like corrupt and pervert the white female, which is why they do Hollywood, which is why they do porn, which is why they do all these other things, and they bar their own females from doing these things um, because it's considered prostitution in Hollywood or whatever to do those types of things. So you, obviously, you get the reformed Jewesses that do this shit, but it's far less in comparison to to white women that are coerced into doing this. Um, so Dracula goes to England, tries to uh, tr- he first he first gets another female, uh, one of Mina's friends or whatever the hell, uh, coerces her and does the whole bit. Uh, you know, creates her as Nosferatu. They gotta like stake her and do all this other stuff. That's where uh, Van Helsing comes into play. Like his like that guy Van Helsing that we all everybody knows about is like a historic vampire killer or whatever. He's a character in the book. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, Dracula in the book or whatever again he there's certain aspects that he needs uh, and that and as far as his coffin is concerned he needs dirt from where he came from where he was originally buried right like in his coffin he needs he needs some kind of soil and he's a soil of that and so there's there's actually a, an element to historical mythos that goes to this element as well that we still see in contemporary Jewishness is that Jews will like bore holes in the bottom of their caskets um when they bury people so that it allows moisture and dirt to seep up into the casket to like kind of foster decomposition at a faster rate so that the Jew then becomes part of the soil in which they're buried in. Okay. Right. So that you get the essence of the Jew in the land. So then the Jew, it becomes Jewish. Like everything, it, it, it's almost like they're permeating the land with themselves by their own decomposition. Um, and you, you see this kind of, this element here again with Dracula and the concept of requiring dirt requiring a specific soil for the vampire to, to succeed where he goes and he sleeps at night right he has to he has to sleep in his jewishness effectively uh every night or has returned to it or during the day he returns to it to effectively his home right like his coffin is his soil in the bottom of his castle and everything else like that um and you see this where well, obviously the jews are nomadic peoples right everywhere they go but they leave themselves wherever they go or where they bury jews it becomes jewish land effectively right um so there's these elements of soil and blood and these types of things that kind of go hand in hand with that. So you have the symbology for that. But again, the drinking of the blood, the seduction of women, and that's the, basically that's the biggest point of Bram Stoker's is the really serious emphasis on the the uh, the perversion of, of females uh, through this creature. This creature will come and and utilize its its mesmerism, right? It will mesmerize females and it will drag them away from you know like from reason effectively because like the men are are telling them, hey, you know, you shouldn't be unreasonable. You shouldn't do all these other strange things. But the women will go towards un or you know they, they will follow that which is unreasonable uh based on charm right based on 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 right on women money. are irrational or without reason not irrational 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 <laughs> and jews are jews want to not exist that is like the great metaphysical desire of the jew is to not exist so death being non-existence would be their thing right which is just why just ask it just ask i mean it. I, i'm gonna ask it like what which isn't the holocaust like their greatest fantasy 
Like, isn't that what they fucking want? No, and it's true though, because like, it's horse shit. Like, they, you want that. You want to not exist. So this sound, the, you and the way they talk about it, it's like you. This sounds like something that you jack off to. Oh yeah. Well, it's like what was it in the was it was something we were talking about? Was it in the striking mic episode where they talked about the gassing from like hundreds of years ago? Oh right, they're talking about in in Alexandria. Yeah, Alexandria when, when the. Egyptians rose up against the Jews and started building fires and they, the they like gassed the Jews out of their out. Yeah. they like gassed them to death <laughs> in their house it's like well it's two it's well what was that the reign of it was like 2000 uh, years ago like Hadrian or, or Trajan yeah. and it was like I think it was Hadrian and the Jews are claiming like ah oh, we are being gassed in by the Egyptians uh. it's a running theme <laughs> <laughs> it's a running theme so if if that's a running theme why is all this other bloodletting not considered like why do they try to hide that so much you know like that's like the big all these cultural elements I just don't get are, it like if they don't want to exist why don't they just not like it's because because like the only Jew who ever did it the only Jew who really embraced his Judaism fully was Otto Weininger Oh, <laughs> he wrote a book about sex and character. That should be an episode all in itself. Oh, that, that's a, that, you know, that book like cured me of, of any problem with women. Oh, really? Like, you know, when you're young, you have like a little bit of ang- angst about it, but you, you read sex and character and it's like, that all makes sense now. Women, Damn. women have no reason. They have no reason. Therefore, like everything Enable, else yeah. follows. And and they have no they have no they're amoral too well and this is and like not to get off on a thing on women here because <laughs> we should save this for valentine's day but <laughs> <laughs> actually that's a great idea valentine's day is special women have are amoral yeah not immoral yeah amoral only men can be immoral how to because manip- only men can be moral how to manipulate the commodity of females <laughs> valentine's day <laughs> But yeah, no, it's uh, Otto Wattinger, the guy that wrote that book, was a Jew, and he blew his brains out in Beethoven's house. No, no, sorry, he didn't blow his brains out. He shot himself through the heart. Yeah. In Beethoven's house, apartment in, I guess, Vienna in 1903. Probably apartment, yeah. Um, for anti-Semitic reasons. <sighs> so based. Like, because he was a Jew, and he realized the nature of the Jewish problem, and he was like, well, logically... Well, yeah. I, either I'm a problem for everybody else or as a Jew, I don't want to exist. I mean, that's my hypothesis right. on it. We can't know because he didn't tell. Anybody. I don't think he said. I think he just. But he I just like he, took I a pistol he, and just bam. Yeah. But he wrote a great book. <laughs> and he wrote a great book. Everybody should read it. Now. <laughs> and now maybe I am. You got to be careful. Like I am cautious that maybe there is some like Jews. some like deep Jew like trick here. Like, oh, you know, yeah. yeah, there might be some like extra like 88 dimensional Jew trick here <laughs> that I'm not seeing. Right. But overall, like everybody uh, needs to read pretty much everybody, with caution. Yeah. Pretty much everybody that read that people used to read that book or like not, maybe not they didn't read that book, but the attitude about the gender, the, the sex question that he puts forth is the normal throughout history position. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's like this this constant theme that's just like, okay, this is the conclusion of logic, effectively. It's like, logically, women don't have, like, we're talking in, Platon, in Platonic ideals right. here. We're not saying that women don't have morals. We're just no, no, saying no. that the absolute woman does not have morals. It's also this And co- most women are closer to that than most men. Right. And this, uh, the majority, I would say that was the majority, where like some, some the, 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 the spirit, the, the true spirit of the woman is... Um, that which can be kind of it's it's tabula rasa. 
Yes. Right? It's, it's, tab- yes. it's tabula rasa. So it's whoever gets there first or whoever can be more influential effectively right. controls and a woman the is, mind and of basically the basically a, a woman is attracted to... She, she doesn't have interests of her own. She just has... Her interests are just the things that she wants in a man. <laughs> that or, or... Well, no, it's true. It's, it's true. And like a lot of this sounds really... Um, how should we say? Chauvinistic, right. awful, horrible. It does. Yeah, but because they do have interests, but the thing is, that their interests are their interests are usually um, like a natural interests. Like say, oh, okay, oh, they love cooking or they love fashion. It's like, what are those things actually to do? Is to impress or obtain a male, right? right? Or if they have other fashions, like say they or not fashion, they have, they have other fancies, right? Like say they they enjoy some things, they enjoy certain reading, yeah. certain books, or they have like you know hobbies or whatever the hell else. But what these things are are placeholders until there is a more we're, dominant right, concept right. put in place here. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna save this right, for yeah, yeah. our Valentine's Day episode. This but I can't, I can't was... resist saying this. I had an autistic spurg out when I was <laughs> I was 20, let's see, this was 2017, no, 2016, I think. It was fall 2016, and I was still teaching at the all-girls Catholic school. Right. And I'm, I was, I was like substituting in library class, or in the library, like just managing the library. And so basically I had nothing to do all day. And so I'm sitting there and like just chilling out. I don't know, I was reading something anti-semitic i'm sure and i had just read <laughs> auto Weininger's sex and character oh, and i also just read northrop fry the canadian literary theorist about the well, like wh- how is something funny right and so as an autist I- i'm thinking about like well funny because northrop this is how humor works north northrop fry basically says humor works something is funny when it is morally lower than you mm-hmm. but it suffers some sort of punishment that is too great for the moral sin that it is guilty of right so when you see a funny a clown like slip on a banana and smack his face on the on the pavement it's funny because he's lower than you he's a clown right but he didn't deserve to like like knock out his teeth on the pavement that's yeah no. that, that really hurts that's awful but it's funny because, <laughs> right <laughs> because of this and so and then I'm th- i was putting this thought together with the idea of women not having morals right and so if it's true that women don't have morals and they are have no moral sense whatsoever like true platonic woman has no morals whatsoever right. and if it is true that that comedy come has it depends on some sort of moral thing. It follows that women shouldn't be able to understand comedy, and I this, <laughs> this, this, came, this came to my mind because I saw these girls laughing, and they're like laughing and laugh. There's just two girls, and they're laughing, and I was like, I like had a metaphysical crisis where I couldn't <laughs> figure out how this was possible. Yeah. I was like, I must be in some alternate universe because these women are laughing. And they can't laugh because they don't have morals. <laughs> <laughs> or they laugh at immoral shit. No, no, no. Because they couldn't laugh at immoral shit. Because mm. immoral shit, how could it be? Immoral things couldn't be lower than a woman. Oh. Hmm. And so how could they perceive? They couldn't perceive it as being lower than them. Whether it is or isn't is out of the is beside the point. Whatever. Right. Like yeah. it, it, it. Unless they're they're. Unless... I, I came up with some theories on this. Oh, I'm certain. I, I don't. You know, we'll save it for the Valentine's Day okay, episode. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have, this, this will be a question. When we discuss the woman question, we'll have to yeah. figure out how is it possible that women can laugh at things. Because according to, if you think about Otto Weininger, my favorite Jew, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> and 
oh northrop fry my favorite canadian mm-hmm. women shouldn't be able to laugh at things well that's the thing do they really this 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 ties back into the Halloween thing. We're this gonna is, save it. We're gonna save no, it. No, no, Look, this, back to Halloween this and is back real to Jews. Horror, this is ba- real horror. Back to Jews. Oh yeah, but back, back to Jews. <laughs> back to Jews. Real horror though. Can they actually really laugh at things truly though? Like, or are they not just laughing based on what they think they should laugh at? Yeah, you know, maybe that right, may be. Right, so, that may so be. So we'll, we'll get into that uh, in, a, in a couple of months. But as far as back to the Jews are concerned, and uh, and and the seduction of of women, that has always been a thing. Right, we see that in Hollywood a lot too. And uh, you know, Goebbels puts uh, Doctor well, Goebbels puts seducting out a lot. women, but also pawning off their own women well not pawning them off using them as as weapons mm, right like right, utilizing right. them to to draw in the goy and hitler sure. writes of this in mein kampf as well uh-huh. where he talks about going through the ghettos in vienna and everything else like all these really you know hot jewesses or whatever the hell else with their titties hanging out the windows and shit he, they, <laughs> it's a really funny part of mein kampf you guys haven't read that <laughs> uh, but he uh he talks about this and it's, it's a consistent theme where Jews will utilize their women as weapons to get you into the fold of Judaism at the same time their ultimate goal is to corrupt the, the white women right or the, or the Goyan females um, and they, they do this by it was because the thing is they don't want to defile their own women right in the sick just twisted ways that they can come up with they do it to ours right, right? because we're animals to them right they can't do it to what they perceive, perceive to be a human because they have souls, according to themselves and their religion, to God and everything else like that. They've been given souls, like Adam and Frankenstein, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where, Ad- where Adam wasn't given a soul in Frankenstein, right? But like that's what makes him a golem, right? Adam in that in that book is a golem because he doesn't have a soul, right? Like he's not he's not one of them, and they can do whatever they want to him as part of the slave. They look at us the same way, right? Jews look at us as slaves and look at us as the golem. They can do literally whatever they want to us, and it doesn't matter. Like they can they can defile us, they can rape us, they can murder us, they can bloodlet us, they can take our children, they can drink our blood, they can do whatever they want. They can't do it to their own, but they can utilize their own as weapons to get us into those positions to where they can do that to us. Um, and that's kind of the biggest way. It's like they'll distract white men with Jewish titties while they take Jewish women or take, take white women and children and pervert them and defile mm-hmm. them. Um, and so it's a divide and conquer tactic, right? So they utilize their own women as, as a divisive weapon, effectively, in their own things. Yeah. Like, I hate to say it, but you, you, look at, you even look at, at the alt-right or the current iteration of whatever the hell that might be, the movement, yeah. right? The quote-unquote movement of, of today. Um, and you see, and, and while it's joking, while it's like jest, I would imagine for the most part, there's a huge contingent of, of the quote-unquote movement that really does actually want to bang like Abby Shapiro and shit. They love... <laughs> I, I know. It's like, you want to talk about horror, right? You want to talk about horror. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and because they, they see these giant Jewish mamsers right they see big uh, like, big ass titties fat and it's a really good saying though that goes along with this jewish women at 20 all tits and ass jewish women at 30 all sass and also no all was no all tits and class at 20 and all sass and ass at 30 um and which means they go on they hit the wall yeah right, right right yeah it's a nonsensical thing but the point is is that it, it's an anglerfish <laughs> tactic right yeah. like in the early days they will use the anglerfish of these jewish titties to bring you in and become part of the fold just become distracted in general like they yeah they, they always i mean I remember growing up, like, Jewish women were always very friendly. Yeah, uh, there's a reason for that. <laughs> and, and like, people often were, like, I don't know if they mistook me for a Jew because I'm smart. Right. Uh, or they, they were, like, maybe thought I was a Michelin or maybe thought, oh, well, we could if we treat him like one of us, then he'll, like, want to, like, high be, verbal be part IQ, of our group. They will just group. assume that you're Jewish. Uh-huh. High verbal IQ automatically gets you assumed that you're Jewish by other Jews. Yeah, it makes sense. It's, it's nuts. 
like I, I know the feeling of it like, where right, they, you were, they, if you're not like Chad dumb goy like yeah. me me have friends <laughs> right or like if, if you can speak like, I, I I try to tone it down for, for the, the show you know obviously but it's if you speak really fast right like if you speak coherently very fast you, mm, they yeah. automatically assume that you're Jewish uh, like the, I was gonna bans you for talking really fast because oh yeah yeah you've been yeah. i do it a lot i'm sorry yeah, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like i but that's the thing is that if you have it, it's it's the combination of being able to um get your thoughts across quickly right like you think fast you speak fast you're it's and it has nothing to do with with being jewish like jews aren't the exclusive holders of high verbal iqs right mm-hmm. um they most yeah, certainly all the greatest writers and thinkers have been goyim right so. exactly so it, the the fact that that's the, the case but again it's a stereotype that it's a positive stereotype mm-hmm. they want to um to to emulate or at least at least put forth that that's that's theirs um, yeah, so I mean, they're basically just after the top tier goyim to bring into right. their bloodstream. Right, it's it's revitalization, right? Yeah. So, that, and this this goes back all the it's way to reproduction. The, yeah, everything that we've been talking about this whole time about blood and everything else, specifically Toaf's book, um, revitalization of the blood. Right, that's like the big thing about the vampire is that the revitalization of the self through blood. Um, and that can take many forms, whether it be for, through drinking it, through bathing in it, through breeding with it. Right, that's the big deal here too. Mm-hmm. It's like how do you how do you revitalize this? How do you fix Tay-Sachs? Well, while there is a large percentage of Jews that have Tay-Sachs or whatever, there's a small percentage that don't, and a lot of those are Ashkenazis, and it's because of this intermingling. More and more, you breed out as much as you can uh, these these dysgenic elements through breeding in with a top tier goyim. Um, again, specifically has to be Rh negative blood type groups though, which is the predominant uh, Jewish and European blood typings. Uh, well, not necessarily the predominant Europeans anymore, but it used to be. So, like, you had, you know, one way or the other, the European is the last bastion of non-Jewish Rh-negative blood type groupings. We have, I think, about 50% of, of Europeans worldwide that are about Rh-negatives, about half of us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're the only ones that have that other than Jews. There's no other racial group that has, I think it's like 0.1% of Asians, 0.1% of Africans, yada, yada, down the line, right? Uh, no one has Rh-negative blood for the Jews to parasite off of, which is why, I think about it this way like why are the jews so attached to europe why are they so attached to white people why do they have to be on our backs why do they have to drink our fucking blood like why is the parasite in our camp and not anyone else's it's because they can't physically parasite off them they can monetarily parasite off anybody on the planet If, if, if you if you want to look at it from a contemporary viewpoint why is the jew not in china why is the Jew not in these these major economic yeah, places? I mean, Why is the Jew not in India? Right, Why is the Jew not in these places that have tons of consumers that have that have the biggest trade in the world that have the the most mon- the money in the world? Why are they not there? It makes well, more sense for them to be there. You know, you've got Jew pioneers like uh, Facebook guy going oh, out and, Zuckerberg, yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting, getting with Asian women. That's because presumably saw, for that very. I would imagine because he saw purpose. the writing on the wall and he's just like, we're gonna lose this. We need to get in over there. For sure. Now, you're not wrong at all. Like there, Yeah, sure, there are pioneers. There's a few here and there, right? Calergy, we're talking about. You Brave know, like, frontiersmen. Right. <laughs> you know, pioneers. <laughs> Spreading the Jew blood to the new races, yeah. Okay. Right, and there's there's elements of that, but it's very difficult for them to weasel their way into it, right? And But the thing is that because they are so physically similar to us, that's how they were able to uncanny valley us. And that's also why they want to be with us so badly is because they can't get their they can't get their life juice anywhere else. They can't get their blood. They're like the, the vampire can't suck the blood of anyone else besides us. They can't get their Tay Sachs vaccinate or their Tay Sachs uh, transfusions 
without us. They can't do. They can't fix their blood problems without whites, and that's like a big deal. It's like if we want to talk about real life vampires, there is no closer creature on planet Earth that has evolved to be closer to the traditional concept of a vampire than that of the Hebrew. Well, other than an actual should, vampire, but we should caveat all this by saying we should give the warning right. that. Toaf does conclude, or no, maybe he said this later, that it isn't all Jews who were kidnapping Christian kids and, and letting their blood in the Middle That's Ages. In the book, yeah. It was mainly just this one sect of Ashkenazis. Right, extremists, Kabbalists. Extremists, religious extremists, blah, blah, and blah. I, he, but it's I, like, wait, you're as, telling me an extremist is just the purer version of your own religion. Right. So if your extremists are doing that. You're a watered-down version. Any, any other Jew is just a watered-down version of this, which means that any other Jew is just a watered-down version of blood sacrifice which means that that because they all they all do the same thing even if you're a secular and, jew you know, or a religious jew they all celebrate these these course. holidays and you know yeah. maybe he just said that because and he's maybe, they don't maybe do this physically. was jew infighting maybe this was he he was just trying to blame it on the other jews <laughs> right. so he wouldn't get blamed uh or maybe uh, who knows right. maybe he actually believes it maybe it's true it doesn't really matter it's still like why in my in my opinion how is this a def- how no. uh, how is this a defense of your race when you're doing that i mean if your race's moral system is fuck everyone i'm gonna get mine <laughs> right yeah like not even black like blacks that they're not even that bad blacks right. aren't even that bad no 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 race like blacks at no least race. blacks have a higher principle blacks have the 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 principle of stop snitching yeah they do they they, they have they a principle that, yeah. that they believe in which is yeah. stop snitching right yeah. jews don't have a stop snitching principle no. they have a fuck you i'm gonna get mine principle right exactly and that's the thing it's like there is no other race that is as morally bankrupt as the jew and is it, 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 to, to get into this more it's like this is obviously just this episode is probably just going to turn into vitriol right <laughs> well the, we gotta wrap it up because right, yeah uh, we got to get it out there for the people before we, we uh, nightfall. True. And that's kind of the deal, though, is that like, and this, this again, so harping on, on the main topics of this, of this book or of this episode, though, again, it is Halloween and we're going to talk about the scariest things in European history that go bump in the night. And so far throughout all of European history, the scariest thing to ever go bump in the night in our, our civilization has been the Jew. Mm-hmm. It is this creepy thing that runs around that's like, it's gross, it's small, it creeps around in the shadows, it doesn't want to be seen, right? Like any, like, what does a bed bug do when you shine the light on it? It runs, right? And the same thing with Jews. You shine a light on the Jew and it runs away immediately. It's it's this hook-nosed little parasite with its long proboscis that's trying to suck the blood out of your children, your women, and you yourself. And so, if there's anything that our, our listeners take away from this episode, get out of the blood drive. Don't give blood, especially if you're RH negative. Don't donate fucking organs. Don't, like 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 don't shy away from from these 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 myths and legends that we have we've come around like teach your children the myths and legends because what it does at the end of the day is it teaches your kids to be scared of jews yeah like if, if you if you can make the connections as a child between all these creepy things right and then you you grow up and you see a real race of people that is embodying these horrible elements that you've learned about as a child you will automatically you know be averse to them and I think we've lost that now. I think we've lost that because, like, again, what does what Halloween become these days? And let's actually talk about the real holiday that we're on today. What does Halloween become these days? Sexy, sexy dirtle girl or, like, you know, like, naughty nurse or some shit. What happened to the actual fucked up stuff? What happened to the mummy, the wolfman, the, the Dracula? What happened to these, like, you know, the vampires, the ghouls, well, it's the gone, goblins? Well, it's gone both ways. Like, yeah. uh, there is the 
college sluts being college sluts, but yeah, you, know, you can't blame them. Girls are gonna be girls. <laughs> <laughs> More for the Valentine's episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then you also have. I don't like the the very graphic violence right, yeah. that some sometimes people will have decorations that are, are too much. Yeah. I like it a little bit more restrained, like evocative of but terror. But actually, not- it was you. It was you that brought up that gory element to specifically Ward films oh, that yeah, was very yeah. Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you, you, ha- you, you lost the heroism within these films and, and it was traded off for gory realism. Right. Right. And, it, and it's, it's like yes, people like have horrible things happen to them in war, and oh, yeah. you know that problem that needs to be understood. But the purpose of a war for- film for the general public is not to show you what it looks like when a guy gets his intestines blown out, right? Like Jesus Christ, like yeah. Though the purpose of a war film is to show to get a kid to understand, oh, in a war, like people die and then yeah. they don't come back to life right like, uh, like very simple things very basic uh, elemental things on top of that there's and you don't need uh, to terrorize there's people. heroism too and nationalism there's like these these other elements that go into war films yeah, like there's, you know there's, there's also the, the whole not making it black and white there's the gray areas the nuance of war right like there is good and bad towards both yes. things there's elements to it there's a whole bunch of nuance that's not think thanks spielberg right for fucking saving private ryan where it's the first opening scene is just literally as you said worse intestines and blood the, the and only worse war movie than that is probably 1917 oh you didn't like that oh it was awful uh, there was the one I mean, it, it, the it one wasn't as gory and bloody was, but yeah this could be a whole thing like well, that it, was, it was yeah because that was like the whole like uh the pacifism element that came it was around no to it. it was trying to demonize germans well it's also that that was like the, was one, clear, the one scene that pissed me off was the, the oh, german the officer yeah the pilot episode you know exactly what i'm talking about yeah that was that the, was sick that was it was so sick it was and so unbelievable stupid. It was it, completely unbelievable. It was. If you read anything about World War One history, it was absurd. Like, pilots went down on either side all the time, and what happened? Well, they were fucking given quarter. They were just taken back. It was like, okay, sorry. I didn't mean to fucking, yeah, you know, like, no. uh, okay, thanks. And they would shake each other's hand. They take them back. It's like, whatever the hell else. And it's like, when Richthofen got, you know, like, von Richthofen got shot down over France, did they just piss on his grave like Jews would have done? No. They fucking gave him a full honor burial. Like it, it's not. It's most uh, anyway. That's a tangent. That's all nonsense, and that's Hollywood and crap. But again, it goes back to uh, the perversion of the mind, right? Like this, and that's that goes into to Bram Stoker talks about this a lot. Like Dracula is a large book, and and one of the major major focal points of Dracula that Bram Stoker tries to bring up is the psychological manipulation that Dracula puts on people, on men, on women, on society in general, to mm-hmm. what his appearance is supposed to be. He and, and on on the surface, Dracula appears as this normal or not even normal above average uh intele- intellectual aristocratic man ungodly wealth i uh, know ungodly taste all this he's like he's like he's a perfect superman right but behind closed doors he's a blood drinking demon and that's like that's basically the jew it's like this whole thing it's right. like he will he will convince every level of society that he is not just normal but above you and that's another major element to this Jewish thing is that they won't just convince you that they're that they're good. They'll convince you that they're better than good and they're better than you. And that's the thing about this whole thing with Christians and everything else like that. that they're the chosen people of God, right? Not just Jews aren't just okay with God. God's not just cool with Jews. He didn't just create Jews. That's his people. Like, and you're not, Goy. Like, you're not. The Jew is. You're not. And so, in that sense, that that's like that that, that ties into to uh, to Dracula very well about how he manipulates society and the societal view of himself as a vampire, and the vampire consistently manipulates the view of the population 
into thinking that right, he's these okay. Jews are all walking around wearing you know white tie and coattails and acting like they're English gentlemen, but yeah. it's like fuck you. Yeah, but then they'll drink no, your literally. They literally you are according not. to toe off. According to toe off, they will literally drink your blood and the blood of your children. You know, and that's we have all the trials. We have all the trials going back. And this again, the toe off book, as we stated earlier, is literally only talking about Northern Italy. It has nothing. Like there's so much more from Europe in France, in Spain, in Germany, in Austria, right, in Eastern Europe, in England, all these other places that have expelled Jews for like extremely similar stuff that toe off talks about in in his book about the trials about mm-hmm. bloodletting and blood libel and all this other shit. Um, that it, it's it's almost impossible to comprehend the level of societal infiltration that has happened over the past thousand years, really. Like we're we're talking about a, a, a nothing nothing could have done this unless it is some kind of <laughs> this is gonna sound ridiculous, but nothing short of some kind of supernatural demonic force could have infiltrated a civilization this badly and convinced us that they're okay and they're fine and that we should just leave them be even though they're actually some creepy parasitic animal that's like drinking the blood of our children in our midst and obviously the blood of your pocketbook too right but you know yeah yeah so so it's it's uh as far as as far as halloween is concerned or whatever uh let it be known let it let it become again what it should be and that is a a, a revenance and an understanding that there are darker forces out there that go bump in the night and we should we should understand them and not I mean fear them yes fear them because they should be feared I mean a creature that goes around drinking the blood of children should be feared but fear in the sense of aggressive fear yeah. not don't hide and run away from the Jew call them out look at them in the eyes when you do it show them that they are the enemy that they, again Expose the vampire. Expose the vampire. Yeah, and and get on Twitter because we're about to we're about to call out a lot of Jews on Twitter if I'm not already banned. Yeah, like, I'm surprised you haven't been banned the first 24 hours. But that's the thing. It's yeah. So but, Twitter's back. So go talk about vampires and Jews all over the place. Uh, yeah. So it's a couple of final points. So this is, you know, the movie Doctor Strangelove always had a great, <laughs> it made a great impression on me, especially the Colonel. Mm. Uh, what's his name? No, gen- no, the general who is in charge of the Air, the Air Force general. Uh, oh, the one who, who yeah, who barricades himself in. Or yeah, the one yeah. who barricades himself in the room and uh, and purity vessence. Purity vessence. <laughs> purity vessence. Nineteen forty six, Mandrake. If you guys haven't seen this movie, I highly recommend it. Do you, do you know what happened in nineteen forty six? Can't remember the line. It's it's, it's great, but. It, <laughs> It's, it, watch it. It's good. Uh, it's yeah. Fluoride in the water. Fluoride in the water. Yeah. <laughs> no, Do you realize what they're act- doing to us, Mandrake? <laughs> but it's actually, and that's a problem with Jews in Hollywood too. Is that that's real? I like, first no. It, I first became aware of it, Mandrake, during the physical act of love. <laughs> a profound sense of weakness came over me. A feeling of emptiness followed. Luckily, I interpreted these feelings correctly. Loss of essence. I can assure you it has not reoccurred. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. So that, that also, that can go to a whole other discussion about uh, Jewish uh, semen expulsion versus Aryan semen retention mm-hmm. uh, yes. and, and the philosophical elements of sexuality. Uh, no no fat November. <laughs> no fat, yes. It, it's actually, tomorrow starts no fat November, all of listeners. So November 1st so, comes yes, tomorrow. We're gonna, we're, it's Aryan Ramadan. It is. <laughs> <laughs> so don't... So we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, uh, don't, don't beat your meat, guys. <laughs> We've already said too much. Yeah. Uh, the final thing I wanted to say is, so 
yeah, we, we spent the whole episode indulging in uh, talk of lurid and disgusting and messed up and horrific things. But I want to reiterate my point from the beginning that the point of your education should not be to get too caught up in this stuff because if you do, you will basically just turn yourself into a Jew. Right. So Halloween is the one day where we think about these screwed up things and maybe throughout the year there's a time where we have to talk about it or think about it but generally speaking you want to expose yourself to the good things and i will point out that even before i was a holocaust denier and or a holocaust knower oh yeah yeah a holo hoax knower Mm -hmm. even before that i still questioned like why are we getting so much holocaust stuff in school like this isn't all day ennobling this isn't good even if this is 100 percent true and even if this is the most important fact in Why all of world history. Yeah, I right. can test that. Even even then, I contested this isn't the most important fact in all of world history, surely. Right. But even if I grant that, why are we spending all of our time learning it? Right. Why this should not be the thing. This should not. Years and years this not, this is not that important. No. Si- even if I grant you six million people killed in the 1940s in Europe, in between 1941 and 45. There's bigger genocides. Like, oh, boo fucking right. who. There's bigger genocides. There's bigger time frames. More Europeans those. died anyway. I right. don't care. Like, who gives a shit? I don't give a shit. How many Chinese people died under Mao? I don't right. know. Nobody but in knows. order for the vampire to continue sucking your blood, you got to believe that it's the biggest deal yeah. on the planet. That's, right. the, that's the whole deal. Is that, like, again, it goes to coercion, right? They yeah. coerce you into... Like, like, so that was another deal with... like not Again, not to get on a quick tangent, but in, in Dracula, again, one of the big deals was to mesmerize the person to, and lull the beast to sleep so that he can drink your blood like a vampire bat right mm-hmm. and what do you think the united states is or all of the west is right now it's the the jew the vampire has lulled us to sleep with sports with games with circuses and all this other shit so they can continue to drink our blood while we just sleep all day long yep so don't do that yep don't be a faggot and <laughs> jews are vampires you gotta you gotta <laughs> do something i mean that's that's the final the final thing on the show is we always say you got to do something it's not can't be like fap and sit around or sorry bap and sit around and be like oh guys we just have to be on twitter as fucking base it's like well i don't know did your fucking hero did your aryan homeric heroes would they have been like oh just hide they would be like yo it's better to die than live in this shitty civilization and that should be your position based and if you think otherwise Probably a Republican operative and a faggot. So <laughs> and your that, suit doesn't fit. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll end that on Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. <laughs>